The following podcast is work safe. Welcome to, uh, what am I, in a cave here, Keith? Come on. Get rid of that. Okay, good. Welcome, everyone, to We Talk Games, episode 71, your video power audio magazine about games. Today's show is going to be very special. It's always wonderful to delve into the world of pinball. I've been quite excited about pinball. If you follow our tweets, well, actually, if you follow my tweets, which is Bionic Wiggly, and, of course, always as follow We Talk Games on the Twitter, because there's a daily question, and you can have your voice heard, much like you can, on our social media network, which is wetalkgames.com. Sign in with your Facebook, or your thing, or your Twitter, or your... Windows Live ID that you use on your Xbox 360 or any other open ID and things like that there. And whammo, you're a member of the We Talk Games community. It's a wonderful community, and I'd love to go on about it, but I got a show to do. My name is Wiggly, in the booth, Keith LaPosh. Yo. Sitting to my right on what looks to be a pile of shoestring liquish, Stinky the Game Master. Stinky? I'm knitting a sweater. It's the middle of June, Stink. I'm a slow knitter. To my left, the glowing, the radiant, the sexy as all get out, T.T. Schmootkins. Hello, my name is T.T. Schmootkins. I have a raisin carbuckle. Give it a reboot there, T.T. Our special guest on today's episode, Roger Sharp is back. And we're going to be talking about the hundreds of video and pinball tables he has literally had his mitts in in some fashion or another either as a press agent creating brochures or securing licenses design cradle to grave and any other type of project involvement you can think of it is my hope to elicit some information on my favorite pinball trilogy as well as discussing some of the nuances of pinball and the differences and similarities of pinball and video games their entanglement, and no better person to talk to than Roger Sharp, who was involved with both video games and pinball along the same timeline. Taking it back to the basic We Talk Games format today, Kyle Von Kubik will be up in just a little while, Johnny Capcom, and then we also have the Council of Video Game Millionaires. The Council will be going in-depth on several titles that we usually never talk about, but we adore. Big show today. Let's start it off. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on, Stink? I just wanted to invite everyone to my surprise birthday party. Your birthday was like uh, two or three weeks ago. I know, and you know, that I was in England at the Sonic convention. You go to that Sonic convention and you do the furry thing? Are you asking me because you don't know or you just want to embarrass me? Well. And besides, I was knuckles. All right. Anyway, this Saturday, I'm having a surprise birthday party for myself. And I just want to invite everybody. I I don't think you know how a surprise birthday party works. Well, yeah, I'm going to have you take me to the skate away. Then when we get there, you're going to say that you forgot your roller skates. And then we come back, and then you'll send me in to get your skates. And all the lights will be out, and then people jump out and say, surprise! 
I, I know how a surprise birthday party works, Stink, but you're not supposed to know about it. That's what makes it the surprise. Well, I just don't like to see. All right, well, we can't talk about this now. Just tweet out your invitations. Follow Stinky the GM. Now, we got to get started here, Sting. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Allergies. All right, I'm ready to rehash the resurrection of the PSN network. Let's get Calvin Kubik on the line. Calvin Kubik, go. Hey. Yo. Whoa, was that a bowel movement? No, what it was wasn't. That? But I do feel a little weird. I don't know why. Really? Hey, aren't you going to well, ask him? All right. What are, what are you going to ask me? Stinky wants to know if you're going to go to the surprise birthday party he's putting on for himself. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a surprise to me that it's happening, so I don't think I got the invite. Well, he was in England. Or is, is he inviting me now? I don't that's know. Why, that's why he's asking me. Okay. To invite you to his surprise birthday party that he's putting on himself. For himself. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so big news, of course. The big, big, Huge. big, big news. Sony Huge. is fully back online. And when I say I heard fully, about this. When I say fully back online, uh, of course, they gave away four free games if you have a PSP. Uh, two for the PS3, two for the PSP, mm. and um, and European users got uh, different games and that we were offered. And of course, if you went back online right away, you, you got disconnected and yes. like, why can't I play my games? Yeah, like, good luck resetting your password too. At first, exactly. That was, yeah. that was a challenge in and of itself. <laughs> They certainly were ready for it, and good thing they turned it on in stages. So they were, they were really good at lighting up a map on their website. <laughs> what happened to that? Uh, I don't know. It just went out it, the window. It was described yeah. as a happening. Yeah. Um, well. Not much was happening on my uh, PlayStation when I that saw, happened. I saw you on was. there, and you know, I was one of the guys that was just kept button in line, button in line, button in line, kept mashing a button to try to get my stuff uh, starting to download. Because once you started to download, then it was okay. But if you just kept pressing it, it would say, you lose, you lose, you lose. And I saw you come online for like two minutes and then drop off. I said, well, he probably tried <laughs> to do something. Yeah, yeah, I tried to get my free things and I had things to do. So Yeah, I hear you. I did get them, though. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, we'll talk what, about... What were your free yeah. things? What did you get? What, uh, well, this is what they offered in the States. Uh, Dead, yeah. For the PS3, Dead Nation, Infamous, a big title there, a little big planet, all $20 titles, mm. Super Stardust HD and, mm. uh, from download fame, and, of course, Wipeout HD Plus, the add-on, which is Fury, uh, which is another uh, downloadable title. I guess they're probably all around $20. bucks. i am not sure, $20, $25. Bucks. They'll give you $40 for giving away your personal information. Exactly. And, or, even more, if you Fair deal. have the PSP, where they offered Little Big Planet, hey, that's a pretty new game. Mod Nation Racers, also pretty new. Pursuit Force, that's a new one that they were uh, happy about. And Killzone mm. Liberation, I think the PSP, you yeah. uh, have a pretty good um, uh, choice there. Now in good Europe, selection. Yeah, in yes. Europe, they got uh, Ratchet & Clank Quest for Booty as one mm. of their PS3 games. <laughs> and uh, the same for the PSP that we, we were offered. So what did I pick? Well, the, the problem here was that I owned... Uh, most, most of those games, games yeah. and they're still in their cellophane. They, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Or I've, I've 
No, I haven't beaten any of those. Uh, so what I had to do was first I picked Dead Nation. That was one I definitely did not own. Okay. Uh, Dead Nation, and then I picked um, <laughs> a game I already owned on the uh, the 360. Huh. But to me, I realized what my Xbox 360 is, and it sort of fits in. I, you know, I'm a Mac user. Very rarely do I jump on my PCs, only to do my, uh, you know, stealing things. Like uh, when I used to right. rip DVDs or when I would uh, play emulation of games I, of course, already own. So, but that's, that's the only reason I go on a PC. I couldn't work on it. So uh, I realized that that's what my 360 is. It's sort of like the PC of my gaming consoles. So you only go on there to steal games? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have that. I don't have that hacked out, and oh, I don't think too I late. Ever will. They've already bricked your system, <laughs> right? No, I don't think I ever will do that. But I only go on there to play the titles that I can't play on all my other systems, or uh, you know, I bought before right. I, uh, I had the PS3, like the Rock Band series and stuff like that. I see where you're going with this too. It's, it, you're going to tell us how pumped you are for Halo Four. <laughs> Honest to goodness, I bought Halo Three used about whenever it came out. And uh, and there it, it is in that Still, generic box. Yeah, yeah. I've yet to put it in, but one day I will. And, and I've been getting through games. As a matter of fact, in celebration of the recent announcement for Uncharted Three, I mm. uh, just beat the first Uncharted. Very so good. Now I'm ready to open Uncharted Two, which has been on my shelf uh, collecting dust. I got to tell you, what a great mm. series that is. So good. Beautiful. Even, beautiful even the first game. one. Yeah. Even the first one. It doesn't really show uh, show its age. Don't own it, but beautiful game. Well, you you may soon. People own say it. I need to have that in my uh, PS3 library. Coming your way. So, oh. Dead Nation, a three quarter overhead twin stick zombie shooting, massive amount. I downloaded this of one too, by the way. Okay, good. We could both yeah. uh, talk. I'll just set it up a little bit. Slow and fast moving zombies, weapons and armor upgrades that you could go through at the weapons shop. You shoot cars to set off their alarms if they have the little alarms flashing. You can also light other cars up, but the zombies won't be attracted to them. It's pretty cool when you when you set off a car alarm, all the zombies go over and they just start pounding uh, like the Dickens, as the kids say, on the cars, and then the car will eventually blow up. Well-detailed playing areas. Problem that I had with it, and I don't know if you share some of these, but like the last guy, the characters are just a little too small for me to see. I've Poor oh, eyesight. Okay. And then adding to that is the how dark the levels are. They're very, very dark. Right. Um, you can adjust your brightness on your television, but it, like I said, the characters are just too small for me to enjoy. But the atmosphere is, is gorgeous. It's just a little too small. Maybe if I had a 50-inch plasma or something, yeah. then I'd feel different. But I, who has that? Well, much in the way of the games on your shelf, uh, I downloaded both of my freebies for the PS3. And uh, they're still sitting there. I haven't touched <laughs> either one of them. But I figured, hey, uh, a zombie video game, that's new. So let's grab that. <laughs> well, uh, that, that, was a, that was another problem. The other issue I had with, with it was no fault of the, the uh, software developers was I had just been revisiting Konami's zombie apocalypse like the day before, mm. uh, which is a three-quarter overhead dual stick zombie shooter. Uh, uh, almost the exact same thing. Exactly. The Konami game is entirely more of an arcade-style game. Right. You need to protect citizens at times. You can use the stage obstacles, like there will be um, a wood chipper that you can kick the zombies into. Very or cool. Yeah, some other type of thing, like a car crusher and things like this. Okay. And you need to survive and rack up points for each stage. 
and it also has more arcade-style stage designs. It's basically just one large playfield. Dead Nation is more of a linear adventure-style, three-quarter overhead, uh, sort of like uh, Zombie Revenge, if you remember that, for the uh, sure. arcade and, of course, on the uh, Dreamcast. Yeah, I just remember hearing a lot of... Uh scuttlebug about the game being a lot of fun and so when i was making my choices i was like well let's uh make the most of these games so i figured i, I would enjoy this title uh, unfortunately i just haven't had time to uh jump into it yet and uh the same goes for little big planet which i downloaded which i know is pretty old at this point mm-hmm. uh with the sequel already being out but my, my thought process was there's so much downloadable content out there with oh, yeah. all the user created items and games that uh, I would get the maximum enjoyment for my free dollars. Definitely, definitely yeah. will. Yeah, I'm I'm still plodding <laughs> my way through the first one, and just the regular game. I haven't even started on uh, user generated content. Right. Um, back to detonation. At the end of each level, your score is added to your country's total, and I'm pretty sure. I hope I'm not getting like fooled by this thing, but it says connecting to the server, so I think this is right. Because then your country is ranked on the leaderboard, and right now it's like Japan, U.S., and Poland are one, two, and three, and it goes down, I don't know, 25 deep or the something. The Polish climbing the ranks. Huh? I cannot believe that Poland was number three. Way to go. And there's also an animated comic story to move the game along. The story is very well done, but I'm, it's not necessary at all in this. You know, get from A to B, win. Right. That's how this goes. Uh, Super Stardust HD, once again, a dual stick space shooter. So really, I, I'm getting my dual stick uh, workout here with the PS3 games. Uh, the twist is you're confined to a single plane sphere in orbit around a planet. So you move infinitely in all directions on this one dimensional plane and you blast asteroids and enemies. It's a very simple content, great evolution of its arcade predecessors, starting with asteroids, techno style music. If you haven't played this game, Ever. What's wrong with you? you? Should have downloaded this, you know, five years ago when it came out when the systems launched. What, yeah, you what, dope. How how old are this? No, the systems are four years old. Probably four and five, uh, three sixty right. older. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they're 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 towards the end of their uh, what used to be a five year span in between in between systems, five or six years. Right. So, uh, anything else for the PS3? I think there is something exciting. I first saw it. Uh, I first saw the 360 has now inside pinball effects all the Marvel tables. Yes. Plus plus one. Plus one. Yeah. The, Which the, one uh, is this? Fantastic Four. That's and right. We saw that show up uh, over on our shores of the PS3. The Fantastic based off Four that thing. fantastic movie from the eighties <laughs> that you might remember of the same name. Not at all. Which is <laughs> thankfully same voice not acting, at all. I believe. But yeah. <laughs> other than that, no connection. I didn't think. I didn't think the voice was that bad. The, vo- the voices in the Marvel tables. Uh, I guess because the motion pictures kind of messed me up a little bit. Yeah, the Iron um, Man one definitely. Iron Man, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that one w- would probably be the most glaring mm-hmm. of the, vo- and that, it's not bad voice acting. It's no. just it's not what you expect. Yeah, you know they they did the but, same um, in the new cartoons. The Mighty Avengers, Earth Mightiest Heroes, or whatever they try to make Iron Man just like uh, what's his head, Mister yeah, Slurpee Poor, yeah, Weird Science Slurpee Man, right? Yeah, uh, that's why we like James Wood, great they, voice actor. Uh, yeah, keep uh, going. Yeah, let's go. Uh, so, tell me about this Marvel table because I like it a lot. 
I enjoy it too. Actually, you told me about it. Uh, you know, with PSM being down, buying a house and work, I've kind of been out of the video game loop. Yeah. So uh, you cued me into this and you said, hey, there's a new Marvel table up. I, I went right away and downloaded it. I played it a little bit and I like it. It's got a nice flow about it. The targets are easy to hit. The missions, the objectives mm-hmm. within the table, you know, challenging. But you don't feel like you're being cheated or it's being cheap. I like. I, I got a lot of play on my first credit in the game, but didn't achieve a lot of points. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's um, a nice table. It's got a good flow. I feel it's easy to keep your ball up and, in, and play. The targets, again, are easy to hit, but the missions or the objectives to, to rack up the, uh, the real points, I haven't learned yet. So, yeah, the um, missions are, but they are challenging. The missions are challenging. It's pretty hard to hit all the targets. The easiest one is is the doing the thing, and the thing has doom bots that come down, and you you hit the doom bot with your ball, and then you have to knock down a series of these. I'm not sure if it's ten or something like that. Right. Uh, that one's pretty easy to uh, complete. The other one's more challenging because they involve a lot of very precise aiming. A lot of skill shots, yeah. uh, especially and, getting up to the uh, tower. Yeah, it's rough uh, on the upper right. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Uh, and, oh, even just just spinning one spinner is 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 difficult too. That's how you do the Human Torch. But yeah, each each character has their own type of challenge that you have to do to complete their uh, gimmick. There, it's a mega pin. It's huge. So when you yeah. jump back to like Wolverine or Blade or you'll notice my ball's so big all of a sudden. But when right. you do this Fantastic Four, it's such a giant mega pin with so many toys. And I can sort of see where Zen is going, uh, which I don't mind at all. And that is completely away from the emulation of pinball machines like the Rocky and Bullwinkle and completely yeah. into this fantasy toys moving around, flying around, balls getting cut in half, all this type of right, thing. Right, something which, that couldn't actually exist. On right, a, you know. which... I really like a lot. Yeah. It, it harkens yeah, back to the... I, and I feel like I want to say the table's easy, but it's not, but you don't drain as much. At least that's my experience, is that it wasn't full of a lot of cheap drains. Like, mm-hmm. the Iron Man table, if you're familiar with the Marvel <laughs> tables, the Iron Man table, to me, has the cheapest drains of uh, of the set of tables. I enjoy that table, but I feel like it has a lot of drains. With this... This table, I felt that you can keep your ball in play, get a lot of enjoyment out of it, but there, there's a lot of skill involved, so I like it. It's something that uh, I definitely will be playing more than some of the other ones within the collection. Right on. And, you know, I think that was another big ding to Sony when they released all these free titles and they weren't prepared for the massive onslaught of uh, ravenous PS3-ites that wanted to get their free stuff. Free! I'm there! Uh, They didn't realize that they could be making a ton of loot because what makes you want to buy games more than getting four free games? You know, right. you really want to keep spending, and it's been and down so cut long. off for two months. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah, and and all that stuff that it, and the poor developers that launched their stuff during during that time, or you know, had it ready, or I don't know exactly how that fit into the plan, but a lo- I think a lot of titles are going to be buried. Um, yeah, I missed two episodes of Back to the Future. There you go, blasphemous. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you probably got them double on your on your iPad. Uh, no, I did not. It, it works great it's, on there. I got the you know, first free uh, episode, and I really enjoyed I, it. I, it. No joke, I actually did consider doing that, but I'm just like, I already paid for them in full. Yeah. I can wait <laughs> a couple weeks to play these points, and but I have no time. Yeah. But I definitely looked at them on the App Store, and I'm like, yeah, maybe. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I imagine they would work well. Played the demo for Russian Attack Expatriate. I don't know what makes it Russian Attack, but it's a nice uh, building-based run and gun. You know, you're inside a building constantly. You run and gun and stealth. You can hide and attack uh, elements and heavy on the maze, figure out how to get from here to there with multiple pathways to complete your objective. But it has really little to do with running around on a bridge or on top of uh, airplanes or, you know, outside. So I, it's it's kind of weird that they, they attached that title to it, which I, I was going to call it a franchise, but it only had one game, so one I don't game, think you yeah. do that. I also downloaded uh, two uh, titles. If you if you have that move thing, the PlayStation What's Move. That? Oh, yeah, yeah, that big waste of money. You have that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they're still uh, firmly behind us, much more than a one-to-one ratio. PSP. I'm yeah. at you. I guess I had some demos for this, and I never played them, but since I was in the mood to uh, get kicked out of uh, the PlayStation Store, I decided to give these a shot. And speaking of a shot, I downloaded at the shoot, and the shoot uh, got a lot of static as being a, a crappy game. The only thing crappy about it is the announcer voice that's going, oh, you did a good job there. And I don't know how to exactly. What? Yeah, it's terrible. So what this is, is um, who didn't like uh, Hogan's Alley or Wild Gunman for the NES? I loved the Wild Lincoln. Gunman. Very good. NES. Yeah, and who doesn't? Especially Marty McFly. He loves it. He played <laughs> it in the, uh, the burger joint in the first movie. Right on. But, so, so this is sort of like that. It's it's cowboys. Well, no, actually, it's it's a shoot. So it's on a movie set, and you go through different areas. Now the demo is only the cowboy area, and right. it's very interesting because it's this very western. It's all set up like uh, spaghetti westerns and things like this. But then the enemies come out and try to attack you, but they're actually on wood. They're flat, although they look very three dimensional. Do they spin around when you shoot them? When you shoot them, they, they spin around and they, they burst into uh, wooden splinters and stuff like this. And so you can make headshots. You can do, you can do all oh, the cool. things that you would really be doing on like a game like Time Crisis, except that imagine the enemies on Time Crisis are now wooden planks. No, are they? Is it is it stylized, or do they look realistic until you shoot them? Like is exactly. it like a point blank type of game? Yeah, they look very realistic, and then when you shoot them, then you. Once Splinters. again, a reminder that they're they're made out of just one dimensional wood, or gotcha. you know, uh, close. That's how they got their E rating. That's probably right. Yeah, and and there's even you know the people that you have to rescue that are tied up or they're they're like chained up, and you shoot the lock that's on the chain, and then they can get free and stuff like this. So it's really cool. But then you go into space levels and other things uh, if you purchase the whole game. But I don't know why this this got a bad rap. Maybe people are tired of arcade style games, but I certainly really like it. The other one uh, is uh, Danny Otero's favorite game. Is that what his name is? Machete? Machete's favorite game, The Fight. Okay. And uh, I was looking forward to trying this because I had heard it's very bad, and I wanted to see just how bad. Well, the demo is Danny Otero telling you, uh, okay, you're going to fight, and I just, uh, I, I like the guy, but I just had to skip it. And, <laughs> um, and all you get to do is hit the rubber dummy, and then okay. the game's over on the demo. So wow. you don't really know how it is to fight anybody. And it's probably gotcha. better. Yeah, the one-to-one sort of breaks. It works, and when it yeah. works, it works really well. Then all of a sudden, I'm punching my right hand as forward as my, like, Mr. Fantastic, my right arm is going. And uh, my character's only, like, moving his shoulder forward a little bit. <laughs> and that's awesome. very, yeah, the, my left hand was working perfectly, but all of a sudden, it would just 
get confused or something, and then it would ruin the whole rest of the game. And he'd be like, punch harder! I can't even move. What are you talking? It's, it's sort of like when you're in a dream and you're in a hypnopompic or hypnogogic state and you have the sleep paralysis and you're trying to, right. you know, punch or run or something and you can't. And that's exactly what it is. If they would have called this the hypnopompic, then, uh, then I would have bought it, uh, better. The other big, huge news to me for the uh, PS3 download is the addition of Turbo Graphic games now. Yes, I saw this and I thought of you immediately. <laughs> I'm sure uh, when I saw did. Alien Crush Got it. on my screen, I was like, I know who's buying this. Yeah, they have they have all the the ones that came out first for all the other systems. Alien Crush, uh, Bomberman '94, Best Bomberman. I got that too, but then I passed on the other ones like. Um, uh, Victory Run and bonk. Uh, bonk, yeah, the first Bonk and things like this. Which you know, the first Bonk I played six times through when it first came right. out. So I'm I'm far past that one. Uh, I love bonk. three. I even like two a lot, uh, but the Japanese versions. But the great thing about these Turbo Graphic games is they're six bucks, like in uh, for your other consoles. But unlike the Neo Geo games that have come out, uh, the Neo Geo Store, which, mm. boy, did that take off? <laughs> yeah. I guess it's down, too. It probably was. I think it it was, actually, that was, was shut down before the PS. Yeah, yeah. And it says it closed for repairs. Um, unknown when it will open back up. Well, uh, I, you know, I can't remember any, any more than those 12 Neo Geo titles. So it's all good. Oh, there's, there's, I know there's yeah, many, many more. Dozens and dozens. But you only have to purchase the TurboGrafx games once, and you can play them both on your PS3 and your PSP. If you remember, which is Neo cool. Geo made you buy like a more expensive one for your PS3 and then a less yeah. expensive one for your PSP. So Scumbags. I, <laughs> I played Alien Crush on both the uh, the PS3 and on the PSP, and they, they work great. And, it, of course, the nicest thing is when you put your high score in, you can, right. of course, save your game then, and then that high score is saved. Uh, with that cool. as well, which is something you could never do for Alien Crush or Devil's Crush on the um, on, on on the Turbo, even if you had you know the memory add-on in the back and and everything right. like this. Now over on the PSP, mm. I mentioned I got Mod Nation Racing, uh, Mod Nation Racer, <laughs> Mod Nation Racing, Mod Nation Racing. If you know anything about Mod Nation Racing, probably saying I'll probably say the name Mod Nation Racer more than I will ever play that game. I'm just I don't know what it is about these new racing games. Uh, I'm I'm just horrible at them. I'm usually very good at kart racers or anything where you have weapons, but just horrible at this title. Really? So, yeah. So that's uh, another title that I downloaded as well and have yet to touch. <laughs> but I thought I'd like it. <laughs> so now, did you also get Pursuit Force? No, I okay. I got Killzone. Okay, I already had that one. Okay, so uh, that that's a that's a pretty good title. Yeah, I like that title. I figure when I'm done painting rooms, maybe I can sit down with my PSP Go and uh, cry myself to sleep. Well, let me tell you, I played Pursuit Force a lot, and I did not yeah. realize that's probably the most I ever played my PSP in one sitting. And I did not realize how much carpal tunnel you get immediately if you have human size hands <laughs> trying to play that PSP. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was hurting for days. But uh, I, I Pursuit Force, you get great at the end. Of course, it's this uh, super cop, and you, the, the big gimmick about this was, if you remember when it came out, you would be driving your car, then you could jump out of your car and jump on someone else's, the, the bad guys, then shoot the crap out of them, jump in the driver's seat, and be driving around in their car. So you really? can commandeer vehicles as you're driving down the road at 85, 100 miles an hour. 
it's just a, like real life. Yeah, it sounds a lot more interesting than it is. But there's there's boats, uh, which is kind of breaks it up. There's there's planes, there uh, helicopters rather, and um, so there's all different types of vehicles that you'll eventually do as you progress through the levels. And it's it's pretty fun. It's it's a twist on things. It's a nice try. And uh, certainly, if it comes out for fifteen bucks, I think you know that would probably be good to get for your PSP. But um, overall, my PSP games were kind of just a wash. Uh, Little right. Big Planet would have been a great Kill Zone Liberation, another great choice. So, right. Sticking with the uh, PlayStation Three, I want to talk about a game that I have been demoing, and I've been demoing this game because it's fifteen dollars. And I can't see throwing down $15 for this game, but I really do dig it. And that's Moondiver uh, from those guys, Squaresoft. Have you heard of them? <laughs> they're, they're famous for, for games like um, uh, Brave Fencer Musashi, uh, um, Chrono Cross, of course, one of their biggest oh, hits. And one. that awesome movie, Final Fantasy, The Spirit Within. Like that movie. Yes, I'm sure you did. Tanks and the people and the spirits right. that were within. They, they were within. They were. Uh, I think. Yeah, ghosts in the shell. <laughs> so um, yeah. So Moondiver, What is this? Well, uh, a couple weekends back, I f- went to one of my favorite locations. That would be Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And the reason why Williamsburg, Brooklyn is one of my favorite locations is because it is the location of Barcade, mm. which is a magical place where you can play an assortment of awesome. Classic arcade games for only a quarter, and you are uh, privy to probably the largest selection of micro-brewed beer that you'll find in New York State, maybe even America. Wow. So so what was new there? Well, you know, there's my favorites. I love Miss Pac-Man, as I think we've discussed in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they have Miss Pac-Man set to the cheap steal-your-quarter setting, which I play best at for some reason. It's right. got to be cranked all the way to 11 with the speed, and I can rack up a high score. But no, they actually had a few new titles there, and you know some of my favorites weren't there, but Strider was there. Mm. And uh, Strider is a very fun game. It's uh, just an action hack-and-slash type game. And, Jump uh, around, though, and, and the gravity levels, so good. Oh, very good, very, and a lot of fun, very weird uh, very Japanese, uh, but definitely a blast. And I was like, oh, this is cool that this is here. So I played a lot of that, and I needed something to, you know, get that fixed again. And I, I remember some of the newer Strider titles for previous generations of consoles not being so good. Mm-hmm. But then I heard about this game, Moondiver, which evidently is a spiritual successor to Strider. Oh, and I in, did not know that. It, yeah, and and you wouldn't because when it came out is when uh, the PlayStation Network decided to take a dump. And, you know, uh, I downloaded this demo as well, and I don't know why I decided to download it because, it, as you said, it was just very ambiguous and just really – they do a very lousy job of describing things in the PlayStation Store, number one. Yes. And I just thought, well, I'll download it. Might as well. I'm downloading like 18 other things. So. You're like, I like moons and diving. <laughs> yeah. So – Oddly enough, there are dolphins in the beginning. So this game is very much so a spiritual successor to Strider, and it has that arcade feel, that gaming universe B, where the four-player joystick Konami-style brawler games of the arcade continue to be successful. That's what this Moondiver game is. It is Strider with three other people playing with you. Hmm. 
and there's four different, I believe four or five different characters, each with their own abilities. And, um, you can upgrade your weapons and your strength as you fight with the more kills that you acquire. And it is a lot of fun. However, the game is $15. Mm-hmm. So I'm really digging the demo, but I'm definitely going to wait for this game to drop because it is, again, just a hack and slash arcade brawler. I don't know why Square is uh, trying to milk us for everything we've got, but I don't see the value of, a, of this being a $15 game. $9.99, you would have had my 10 bucks already. Mm-hmm. But at, fi- uh, at $14.99, I was like, you know what? I got to be a little cautious with my cash. Yeah. I'm not going to drop down the money. However, I strongly suggest demoing this game. And if you already downloaded the demo like yourself, mm-hmm. I strongly suggest actually playing it because you will have fun. It, and you will see the um, homage to Strider as I did. It's homogenous. Homogenous. Yeah, uh, yeah I like whole milk. <laughs> mm. uh, and sticking with uh, that famous company, Square, let's talk about Imaginary R HD. Now, this I'm not aware of. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of odd, uh, and it's free on your iPad, oh, or on your uh, iPhone. So you put, you know you can pick this up, and that's that's probably the best thing about this game is it's free hmm. uh, because it's not a game, or or is it? I don't know. We'll discuss. You like comics? Uh, I've heard of them. Yeah, you, let, don't kid the audience. <laughs> you like comics? Um, do you like motion comics? I I enjoy them a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and do you like uh, highlights for children? Of course. Find well, then you're going to love Imaginary RHD. Yeah. Um, what Square did, uh, I guess this is Square's not B League or C League, probably like a G <laughs> or maybe a J League. Uh, <laughs> they put together this, this pseudo-comic, pseudo-mini-game collection thing for the iPad and iPhone uh, and iPod Touch where you read along with this comic – you collect things in the comic world as you're reading through the panels. You see this uh, this little symbol that uh, in the beginning you see uh, um, what are they Moggles or Mogs? You know what a Mog is from Final Fantasy? The little the white guys that go puka puka or whatever, oh, and yeah. they got the little antenna. <laughs> no, you don't know what I'm talking about. I, listen, I barely know what a cocoa bow is or whatever. Oh, the the Cocoa chickaboos. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my friend used to call them. <laughs> uh, I just want to make sure I'm I'm calling them the correct thing. Hey, I just figured out why I feel so weird. What's that? I got my underwear on backwards. Oh, there you go. That's that happens a, to me all the my time. My butt thinks it's in the front, and my other thing in the hiney. <laughs> you don't want the other thing in your hiney. No. Okay, they're called moogles. Oh, moogles. I used to eat their oodles of moogles noodles. So there's these little icons of what looks like if a mogul was to fall Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. So yeah, it, that's what it looks like. Um, it's a, this weird sort of mog or moogle or whatever you want to call it from yeah. Final Fantasy. And you click on it and it gives you items while you're reading this comic. So at first I'm like, all right, this is kind of cool. I'm going to use these items in sort of like a pick-your-own-adventure story mm-hmm. uh, no not at all it's very linear where if you try to use any other item than what you're supposed to use at those cues within the comic the characters basically say oh i don't think that would help me at this point in the <laughs> game and then you're just gotcha. like okay so why am i clicking these guys so they think it's a game in here though 
I guess they're trying to justify it being a game. So that's one element where it's like highlights for children because you're just like, well, where's the fish? Oh, the fish is in the cloud. Where's the boot? Oh, the boot's in the boy's face. But as you go on, then there's other prompts within the comic that are actual mini games. However, these mini games, again, harken back to highlights for children. And for those of you who are not familiar with highlights for children, it's a uh, monthly magazine put out for kids who ages range from i guess three to six would be that window of opportunity from highlights their demographic if you will our our Uh, our listeners know what that is that's our demographic oh okay good uh so i'm glad they're all subscribers it's very educational too uh goofus and galan moving on anyway the mini games are very very easy and there's only one mini game within the collection of mini games that actually feels like a game. And it's this one point that plays a lot like Missile Command meets Space Invaders. You shoot lasers up to hit these enemies. The lasers then spear the enemies, which are just orbs floating down towards you. And then you hit a button to make the, make the, uh, the laser explode. The more enemies that have been skewered, on the laser, the bigger the explosion and the more you can wipe out a la Missile Command. So that was a kind of cool little game in there, which thankfully, once you complete the comic, you can go back and play. And that's probably the only element of the game that feels like a game. Let's talk about the comic. The comic like reads and looks as if it was done by somebody who really digs anime and made their first Angel Fire site. To show their passion for anime. Gotcha. Uh, the story is nonsensical, counterintuitive, trite, contrived, bad, to say the least. The artwork is the same. It's very obvious that a very small amount of money was put into this project. And unfortunately, I think it's a really great idea. It's a uh, what I, I assume is going to be a continuous thing where they're going to release more issues of this comic. Perhaps do the sort of uh, DC comic, Marvel comic idea for the iPad where the, it, it's sort of like the uh, the crack dealer business model where they give you the first issue free, but if you want to buy the rest of Infinite Crisis, it's going to be a buck ninety nine. So I think maybe that's the direction they're going to go with this uh, imaginary R. I don't know yet, but the first issue is here. It's free. You can see for yourself. I'm not paying for this experience again, but I'm glad I checked it out. And again, I like the idea. I just think it could be executed a little better. Right on. Now, what's this called again? I Spy? Yeah, it's it's I Spy. It's actually called Imaginary R or Imaginary oh. Range. It's called Imaginary R in the App Store, but when you actually load up to the uh, right. title screen, it's yeah. called Imaginary Range. Gotcha. It's, um, like I said, it, it's really bad anime writing meets Inception, or I'm sorry, <laughs> meets the really bad fan fiction Inception combined, because there's like this dream world thing happening. Okay. Um, that's the most I could take out of it. You, you don't feel any sort of, you, they just throw you into the story and you don't even know what's happening. You know, they don't introduce any of the characters. They're just sort of there. Gotcha. But check it out for yourself because at a price point of free, hey, maybe you'll dig it. And sticking in the same vein of something that I really liked, but it didn't feel exactly like a game, would be Infinity Blade. Hmm. There's no argument for me. It is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. But it seemed like very repetitive quick-time events. Sure. Now, I wasn't disappointed that I purchased the game, but I was hoping for something more. Yeah, but did you look around and find gold? 
Yes, I did look around. <laughs> I did find gold. More highlights for children. Yeah. But where Imaginary R lacks style and presentation, Infinity Blade has style and uh, and presentation mm-hmm. up the wazoo. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So it is absolutely beautiful. I definitely recommend checking it out. But it is a series of quick time events, and they're, it gets very repetitive. But if you enjoy that type of thing, especially if you like the whole knight's fantasy elements and um, you like the subtleties of doing swell. You know, I want to say Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain wasn't an iPad game, but Heavy Rain was a series of those type of events. Mm -hmm. I mean, it obviously expanded it a little more than this game does, but if you liked that, you know, if you liked the quick time events of a Metal Gear Solid, then you'll probably dig Infinity Blade. I think it goes a little bit above a tech demo. I think that there's a lot of timing involved, there's strategy involved. Without a doubt. You're right. I just there's, felt there's, that a lot of the mm. strategy was repetitive. Mm. Oh, yeah, sure, definitely. You know, mm-hmm. the, it just, it, it, and I guess because of the nature of the game and, and because of how beautiful it was, I don't mm. know if they could get very deep with the gameplay, but, you know, how many times are we going to do a parry block slash, you know, like, there is a strategy there. It's not just, you know, up, down, left, right, win. But the first couple of battles... That's what you're going to get for the rest of the game. It's not very deep. It gets more difficult, and the, the bosses get larger, and 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 uh, they they do start getting different patterns. But yeah, you're right. It's not going to be as deep as a Street Fighter game. But absolutely, wow, it just but, blows your socks off when you see some of the, some of the details on these things and the weapons upgrades and the, the choices of how you want to equip your character. Those those all yes. come into play as well. Yes, and that is where it is a, a lot more deeper. Um, than, uh, you know, the game I previously mentioned. There are upgrades, there are weapons, you know, there's armor and stuff like this. So, yes, there is a game there, and please don't mistake it. Like, I like this game. Mm-hmm. I just want to just give my two cents that I feel that it it does feel repetitive. Yep. Very beautiful, and, I, you know, if, if what I'm saying, you're like, hey, that sounds pretty good. It is pretty good. You're going to enjoy it. But I just want to let you know that, you know, if you're looking at this and you think it's going to be a straightforward, exploring adventure game, it's not. Right, yeah. And I think that's what Jaden said. That's what I said. And now you see it, too. It's definitely worth the loot. You need it for your iPad, definitely. Uh, iPod, I guess it works as well, your iPhone. But it definitely, you need it for your iPad. But like you said, it's not not the deepest game. But it's good for little, uh, little sits. Wherever sure. you might be sitting, that might yeah. Have you get a through one battle, you put it down, seat. you go, on, you know, yeah. go do something else, come back later. Right on. It's it's a good game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now here's a game that also is visually beautiful. Oh, and I forgot to mention about Infinity Blade controls very well. This game controls very well, and it feels like a game. And that's Dead Space mm. for the iPad. Right. I was shocked. I grabbed this when the the price point dropped. I was like, okay, at ninety nine cents, this game's got to be pretty bad but whatever it's a buck uh no it's not it was actually very very good it's one of these games that says hey plug in your headphones and play this in the dark Mm -hmm. yes do that because that's it actually adds to the ambiance and elements of the game it is visually beautiful the controls you know they take a little bit to master but it's it's not something that's um it's not difficult to pick up it's difficult to master, you know, that old tired mm-hmm. cliche. It definitely feels like that, where at first you're just like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to dig this because it's kind of awkward pulling out the gun like this and swiping this way. But then five minutes into the game, you're like, okay, I, I got my move. I, I've, uh, you know, cut my teeth on this game. 
yes, you're going to enjoy this game, especially if you're a fan of the, uh, the uh, Dead Space franchise. I think this is something that you will enjoy. Uh, it's not some sort of uh, broken down cell phone version of a game that you loved. It is uh, the best portable experience you could probably have from the Dead Space genre. I was shocked that I could actually have the same feelings of being surprised when an enemy, you know, shot across the hallway real quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was cool, and I really dug it. And it again, because I'm new to the iPad, I am shocked when I play some of these games. I'm just like, I cannot believe how beautiful (laughs) these games... These games look like they, they belong on a big screen television playing on my uh, my PlayStation or my Xbox. It's amazing how good this game looks. So if you're into the survival horror, you're into the dead space, you're into the Resident Evil, strongly suggest picking this one up. And I don't know if the price has gone back up or whatever, but if it's still as low as 99 cents uh, or 199 whatever I grabbed it at, it's a no-brainer. You're going to enjoy this title. Right on. Stick around for the council. Nothing is forever, Wiggly. Kyle Von Kubik. I guess I'll put him down for a maybe. All right, Stink. I'm really looking forward to this next interview. I wanted to talk about some pinball, and I also wanted to get more in-depth about Roger Sharp's video game involvement. So let's open it up. Roger Sharp, get him on the line, Keith. Oh, I'm delighted to have Roger Sharp, our first returning guest on uh, the We Talk Games. Go! Chicago. That's right. So uh, welcome back, Roger Sharp. It's great to have you now. May I call you Mr. Roger Sharp? Uh, I think Roger's just fine, and it's great to be back. Uh, thank you. I've been playing a lot of pinball lately, so I definitely well, wanted. Good for you. Thank you. I, want, I definitely wanted to hit you back up on the show, but then I saw your pinball ballet on the new pinball release special when lit. Then I knew we had to <laughs> we had to get in contact with you. The last time we had to cut it off because we could have done a, a 19 hour show on everything you knew and your your role in pinball, uh, both behind the scenes and in back of the scenes and in front of the scenes and uh, you know on top of the table, under and through. But we uh, neglected to do a lot of your involvement with the video game industry. I think I mentioned that you pretty much touched games that everyone's played i think i think that's safe to say either in the arcade or when they they were re-released on the console so i I that's what happens when you're around for far too long (laughs) (laughs) but but what a way to to be around a long time to be involved with so many i mean so many hits in pinball so many hits in video games yeah how is that? How, you the golden touch? You or serendipity that you happen to be involved with those projects? I think, you know, in all honesty, I think it's just a question, and I'll be serious for a moment, but I think it's just a real uh, question of being around at the right time in the right place. Uh, you know, for, for video games, and I know a lot of people don't know all the hats that I have worn. I go back to the days of uh, the first Electronic Games magazine with, Arnie Katz and Bill Conkle and Joyce Worley and was doing game reviews for them actually under a pseudonym Ah. and uh, took over the editorship of Video Games Magazine and a name that people may be familiar with was a young teenage person who knew everything about games strategically and otherwise and started him off on his writing career and that fellow was Steve Harris. Who eventually sure. created, you know, Electronic Gaming Monthly, and I actually wrote for that magazine for the first issue. Wow! When he launched it, so EGM has roots going back to video games, and as I said, I mean, you're around long enough. You know, it was a small community back then, 
and uh, you wind up touching on a lot of things. But yeah, I mean, I I was actually a consultant uh, years ago when Mattel was launching the M Network. Oh, um, yeah. and uh, I actually got called in before Coleco launched the Atom uh, to ask my input. There weren't a great number of people who had familiarity, number one, with games, who straddled the world of coin-op, which admittedly were looking at you know, the mid to late 70s, and who kind of knew all the various people mm-hmm. that were involved you know, with either one foot uh, on one shore or two feet on two different shores, meaning coin-op and the emerging home market. So being around back then, uh, yeah, you know, I predate everything when it, it comes to my tenure at GQ magazine. GQ was actually the first consumer magazine that featured anything having to do with the first generation of what were loosely called home computers. I featured the APF imagination machine. Wow. And a, a full page color spread talking about, you know, this kind of emerging marketplace, and we eventually covered Fairchild, uh-huh. obviously Magnavox. The spinoff from Video Games Magazine was Easy Home Computer, and we featured, you know, the PC Junior. Uh, we were the first magazine to break a story on Commodore 64, and was I was one of three editors who was flown out to take a look at the uh, ill-fated uh, 2C from Apple. Right, right, right. So, right. I mean, there was a lot of those things that were happening, you know, around that time frame. So uh, I think that moving forward, as I said, in the right place at the right time, and maybe with some of the fundamental familiarity and knowledge base to kind of universalize whatever people were asking me when it came to, you know, my opinions and or my help and guidance and uh, maybe some of their business plans. Right on. You were working with Mattel in, in the early days. Uh, did you do anything else for them or just uh, consulting? I, I, was, I was brought on as a consultant. Uh, they were looking at not only launching M-Network, but also getting some of the coin-operated games that they could translate into not only M-Network games, but also for the Mattel system itself. And that was around the time when they were doing uh, the Intellivision 2 new controllers and all the rest of it. And remember setting up a series of meetings during uh, an AMOA show. For those who aren't familiar, AMOA was the old uh, amusement game convention for CoinApp that was held in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And set up a series of meetings because at that time, Palika was coming on very strong. uh, Getting uh, themes like, uh, well, Congo Bongo Mm -hmm. comes to mind, but also Zaxxon and Donkey Kong and a whole slew of other things. And uh remember getting them a meeting where they had a chance to do Pac-Man and uh, had a chance for Defender and had a chance for a variety of other content. And the only thing they wound up walking away with was Burger Time. And I was just astounded by what they didn't do that I had provided the opportunity for them to do. Adventure Vision uh, was a little bit different. And I forget the, the company that created that kind of countertop system, but they did take Defender. Mm-hmm. And then Vectrex followed with some of the stuff that they were able to do. So, yeah, I mean, uh, wow. my thing was to open doors and do introductions, which I did, and try to bring about some stabilization when it came to what the financials are going to be. My goodness. 
that's more my generation and the things that I have a little bit more endearing in my heart. And we just had Keith Robertson on not too long ago from that. He's running, I guess, the Intellivision Incorporated type of thing now. He, uh, right, the so new rebound of uh, wanting to embrace what existed at some point in time for right. people. Right on. Wow, I didn't know that you even even were involved with the Vectrix and everything like that. Uh, those are those are such cherished uh, systems for people that remember those. A lot of them were great. They really were, and they deserve you know better times than what they wound up getting. Yeah, That's my own personal take on it. Well, you know, it, there was just so much confusion, especially with I guess the Magnavox advertising. What people thought you had at a Magnavox television. And right. uh, was that the second one? <laughs> it's hard to remember. No, I know the first crash was when they came out with Casey Munchkin, and there was the lawsuit. Okay. And that was their big chance to kind of break through as a system. It was Magnavox 2. They were doing some things, if you remember way back when, that were kind of adventure games where you had books and you had overlays sure, and sure. other things. Yep, uh, yep. I mean, they were really far ahead of their time and with some decent games, but some of it was mismanaged and, you know, probably could have been done better and different, but that's the way sometimes history writes itself. Sure. It's always so iffy with any technology, especially if it's uh, new <laughs> and not uh, really established. So, Well, you know, I was a person in a press meeting where, uh, and I was a, admittedly a big fan of the IBM Selectric typewriter, and here was the junior, and kind of raised my hand and said, uh, why is it a chiclet keyboard? I mean, like the old chiclet pieces of gum. Why isn't it this electric? And I guess uh, it started being coined as uh, the way to describe the PC Junior. I see. I see. Interesting. Let's talk about the games that I think a lot of our uh, middle ground uh, folks will like. Sure. I, I don't know. Now, I don't know all your involvement, but once you started working for Midway, and we, we sort of touched on that the last time you were on, if people go back and listen to that, it's good stuff. Cruising USA and Cruising World, uh, what was your involvement with those? That truthfully was uh, to get uh, different cars for Eugene and his team to work okay. with, to try to you know work with Chevy and GM and, and to work with some of the other car companies. In addition, I really believe, still do to this day, that coin-operated amusement games, forgetting about the home market, because the home market is tamped into it, and about what I'm about to say, everybody will say, oh, yeah, that's right. But understanding the time frame, the late 80s, I really thought that the games were interactive billboards. And having said that, that we could put advertising in games if it was done seamlessly. And had worked on a couple of different deals uh, in regard to cruising, where we would have had Kellogg's and a couple of other billboards there where they would have paid for that space. And not so coincidentally, there would have been some tie-ins promotionally on the back end that would have been consumer-driven because the coin-op companies then and now really don't advertise directly to consumers. You don't see ads on TV. You don't hear about them on radio. Mm -hmm. You don't see them in magazines because the budgets aren't there, and it doesn't make sense. We don't control where the games are placed as companies. So to be able to tell somebody who lives in Duluth, hi, and the games are available here, you know, we don't know that. And uh, coin-op companies were never set up to do 800 numbers or anything else for more information. So having said that, I always believe fervently that, you know, the way to disseminate the greatest amount of information with the least amount of cost was to do trade-outs. I mean, uh, for those who look at the play field on roller games as a pinball machine, you will see a variety of different advertised brands because we wanted to tie in with what that layout was on that 
show. Sure. Uh, and we incorporated, and we did some deals with Coca-Cola and Thermos and some others where there was some net benefit. I love that Thermos is on there. <laughs> yep. That was one of the games I, I wanted to bring up, one of, the, one of the tables, because I just love that table. And, of course, it, it didn't come out until, I guess, after the show was canceled. But uh, Pretty close to it, yep. So we much. there'd be a couple of extra seasons, and I thought it was a better licensed brand than what was also coming out at the same time something called American Gladiators. Uh-huh. And obviously I chose wrong. <laughs> yeah, but... Roller games didn't live, and American Gladiators did. But I think it made for a much better, much more entertaining uh, pen, that's for sure. And, oh, and, yeah, and, I think Steve Ritchie did an incredible uh, job with it, and the sound calls that we had and all the rest of it, yeah. So good. Don't shoot! That's right. Shoot. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, wow! <laughs> And that and that cheesy song, which I'm sure you know a lot of people like, but it's so infectious, but yeah, so so cheesy, and and the loop is just what yeah, it's just such a charming uh, table, as well as awesome too, and yep. just all those loops and just so good, so good. So anyway, getting back to your original question with cruising, yes. cruising USA, and all the rest of it, really, that was the role that I had was let me see if I can provide vehicles. Let's see if we can incorporate advertising. And I think we got one thing in and some others kind of fell out. And I wound up resurrecting them on Hit the Ice, uh, which was oh. a hockey game that was headed up by Jack Hager. Love that game. So we have some dasher boards that have some advertisements on them. And uh, also uh, worked with Jack closely because he always wanted to have trading cards. So we came up with uh, a whole series of trading cards featuring the various uh, hockey players. They were featured in the game, so I know that, uh, you know, Bo Cleveland was a, a rarity, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, really enjoyed doing that. That was the, the Taito game, right? Taito brought it out for the home market. Oh, okay. But Hit the Ice was ours. I see. And then Open Ice was what we did as a follow-up, and that was the uh, NHL PA license game that I worked on. I see. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Wow, I didn't know you were involved in that. That's that's. <laughs> see, yep. another another game I love. So well, all of the. I mean, again, for everybody to kind of be aware, I started with Williams in uh, April of 1988 full time. So my role as the director of marketing, and I took on licensing and a lot of other stuff uh, thereafter. Any and all of the games that were out from. You know, effectively 1988 until 2000, I worked with, whether it was in creating the brochures, whatever the PR was, there was a license theme, and absolutely I was there from preconception on through to grave, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that crossed all lines, whether it was pinball machines, video games, or some of the novelty games that we were doing, okay. shuffle alleys, yeah, I mean, that was, that was my world for I see. Uh, over a decade. Right, so so the pins and the video games, they were all intermingled. Yep. Um, I definitely want to go back into pins, but you were also involved with Mortal Kombat 3, NBA Hang Time. These are all things that people are very familiar with, Revolution X. Yep. Um, and I'm sure a lot more that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> well, because like, like you said, you were involved in, in some way. Uh, well, NBA Jam is a perfect example. I mean, there had never been a license in the world of coin-op with professional sports whether it was basketball, football, baseball, hockey, you name it. And uh, that was a long process. Uh, we had great success with Arch Rivals, mm, uh, yeah. for those who might remember it. And, you know, sure. Mark Trammell and Sal DeVita 
wanted to do another basketball game and thought they could step it up. And uh, I worked my butt off to uh, get the NBA license, which we got, and the ability to feature real players. And really, it was a landmark game. And then the follow-up with uh, Tournament Edition and then Showtime and Hang Time and uh, on and on, all the other derivatives. And I know that I am a, a hidden character on uh, the first one and the same thing with NFL Blitz. Is that right? Yeah. Now, is your mustache its own character, or it's just on you? <laughs> no, it's actually on me. And, and okay. There I am as a big-headed person. Yes. Wow. Now I've, stuff. I've got to go back to that. I've got to go back then and look, look up those codes. Hey, you know, I, I forgot. I, I uh, my, my typewriter had uh, appeared in uh, some of the early EGMs right around the Genesis versus uh, Turbo era. Okay. Um, I remember the issue cover. It had like a legendary axe guy against the guy from um, Golden Axe. So that was on the cover in all its pixel glory. And I, I was just a fan letter. But I, I uh, well, that's cool. pointed out what the Genesis had going for it and what the Turbo had going for it and why, you know, it shouldn't be a, a war of the two systems. Of course, um, I, I love the Turbo. And of course, that, that's it miserably in the States. But it's another story. Well, Turbo Graphics, that was a tough call. I mean, they had Bonk and not much else. Hudson Software was doing the majority of uh, content. Mm-hmm. And the biggest problem on their portable handheld system was that it didn't scale appropriately. So if you had any kind of writing mm, on yeah, screen, you couldn't read it. Yeah, the text so was it, bad. it limited whatever your library was. I had one of those uh, as a, a review copy ah. uh, you know, early on in production and development. Gotcha, gotcha. Let's move on to pins because I've been really getting into pinball a lot lately. I mentioned I was very glad to see Especially When Lit come out. And I love the opening. All the collectors really feels good and why they like it and all from all over the world. But then it sort of got a little bit of... Uh, it got a little of that vibe that I remember seeing in Chasing Ghosts, which is... Look at these oddballs and let's, you know, exploit the oddities. I guess that's what sells, but that's what I, I really liked about Tilt, the Battle of Save Pinball, was that it really was more like a documentary and not, not oh, trying Greg's, to be. Oh, uh, Greg's documentary. Yeah. yeah. So good. So good. But I, I really enjoyed some of the, some of the parts, especially when, and especially finally seeing your ballet, which I had never seen before. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, I tried it myself and you, you definitely, you definitely become one with the machine. Uh, it didn't improve my score, but I, I, I think I have to settle on my own, you know, type of robot dancing that I think I do. And maybe that will, will help me. <laughs> I understand. Yes. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. It's some good stuff, and and you're not alone. There's a lot of people that really feel that, and uh, I so I like I like that about the movie as well. A lot of our listeners are younger people. I'm going to say fellas because <laughs> that's that's what it really is, fellas. Uh, they tune in for TT Schmootkins, our sexy robot. And, there you go. And yep. what what themes uh, were in uh, pinball? But sexy robots and cards and pool and bowling and sexy robots and sexy ladies. I've been getting more into understanding. I knew old pinball machines, and then I knew newer pinball machines and dot matrix and that was pretty much the extent of it but um i i like the history of it uh, just focusing on some of the uh parts of a pinball machine like how they originally started with just a lighted back glass and your score would be 
lit up by the different bulbs in back of, sure. you know, your rows of tens. And then we, we got reels, which a lot of people are more familiar with that have the reels and numbers. And then it went into the digital LED numbers. And then we got alphanumeric LEDs, which could do letters and numbers. And then finally into the dot matrix era where you could have uh, movies play out on a uh, little pin pinhole dot screen. So just those things, I think uh, people don't realize. One thing that I, I uh, got from this new movie, and I wanted to talk about it with Greg. I, I hope to, I hope he's on the show. I, we'll have to see if we can get him on the line. But I really think that now in today's market, and I'll just get your opinion on it, I know that no companies except for Stern really produce pins, and it's not really a, a marketable item, I guess, or for whatever reasons, there's more money in slot machines and, and things like this, redemption machines. But I could really see now with how we see the proliferation of this meeting of 8-bit, 16-bit, and modern technology, I can really see sort of Perhaps a market, although people don't get out as much, for returning to just your standard real-based bells and bumpers and no music, none of the other fancy things. Just what made the pinball originally take off? I mean, I knew, I know it was you know popular here and there, but I think when the reels came out and, and around that age, I think that's when it really was in its heyday, although it might have been illegal. <laughs> In some parts of the country. Uh, but I don't know why I think that if we had that tactile, just that pure tactile uh, immersion, I, I can see that in today's marketplace, you know, small, but uh, I'll be it. But I, I can see that taking off. Well, I agree with you. I think that the biggest hurdle for pinball isn't necessarily that there isn't a market for it. And I've talked about this in Pinball Expo and other places. Um, some people have said I've been somewhat outspoken about it, but I really believe that the, the biggest problem and why you don't have, you know, Williams anymore, mm -hmm. and why you don't have Bally anymore, and why you don't have Premier anymore, is the fact that location owners and operators got lazy. They didn't maintain their games. That's you true. Know, the problem with a pinball machine is that it's a mechanical device. Mm. And you know what? All of us who have cars need to go in every once in a while, whether we do it ourselves or we have a nice service station, to get our oil changed and to do tune-ups. You know, got to get them winterized, got to get them summarized. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do things, even to the point of, I'm showing empty, I have to put gas in this in order to continue to drive it. And I think if the mentality were such, where people really took care of the equipment that they had on location, pinball revenues would have stabilized and increased, and it would have been viable and legitimate to maintain them. I mean, I always look at somebody like Steve Epstein, and for those who aren't familiar with Steve, the former owner or the owner of the former Broadway Arcade in New York City. Right. And the earnings that he used to generate on his pinball machines rivaled the earnings that he used to generate on his video games. And, you know, it's a lot easier, although there were any number of locations no longer in existence bars, game rooms, or whatever else, where, you know, maybe the joystick on that video control panel was a little bit iffy. Mm -hmm. Sure. Maybe oh, the buttons yeah. were a little bit uh, kind of schmutzed from somebody who spilled the soda or burn holes from cigarettes or God only knows what. Yeah. And, you know, the operator not paying too much attention to it and not caring or 
doing so many conversions that you could see the four games underneath the new game <laughs> on the screen from the bleated images. Yeah, yeah, that burning. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the problem that has become much more of an epidemic for coin-operated amusement games is the fact that people didn't get tired of them. They went in with an expectation. And the expectation was that they would be playing a game, pinball machine, video game, whatever, that was going to be in working, functioning order. I mean, I'm not going to go to a movie theater if the sound system isn't working. I mean, I have choices to go elsewhere or to do other things. And I think that it became easy for people in the industry to put the blame on, oh, it's home video games. That's why everything is falling apart. Oh, people are going to movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, the weather was good. Oh, the weather was bad. Well, you know what? If the marketplace could sustain itself back in the very late 70s and early 80s when there was this surge from Bally Arcade and the Atari 2600 and in television and still the last gasp of Magnavox and Thrive, well, guess what? To use the same excuse against the Nintendos of the world and the Sonys of the world and so on is kind of a misnomer. And I think that the problem was that people got lazy as business people. They weren't willing to invest. And it becomes a vicious cycle. I go into an arcade or a game room to play a pinball machine. And I put my money in and, you know, a flipper isn't working or the lights are out or something else. I'm not going to be inclined to put money in another machine next to it. I'm going to walk away. A classic example. And I'll share this. Because it used to frustrate the heck out of me, and it's it's one of many things that I wound up doing over a period of years. But I remember being out in California, probably going to visit some studios or whatever else, and took the time to go to the Santa Monica Pier. And Santa Monica Pier used to have, and maybe they do still, I will call it, they used to have a great game room. And it used to be a test location for a lot of the companies. Okay. And I remember going out there just to see what they had on the floor and they had a whole lineup. I want to say maybe they had 12 or 15 pinball machines. And I went down the line of these pinball machines, putting my money in, only to find that there was something wrong, something wrong, something wrong, something wrong. And I wound up turning them off. And the gal who was one of the people giving up, what are you doing? I'm turning them off because these aren't working. Well, you can't do that. Well, give me a piece of paper. I'll write exactly what's wrong because that has a flipper that's bad. Uh, the game over there where you put the tape over the hole because somebody <laughs> took out the thumper bumper, that probably is not a good thing to have the black masking tape over that area. I mean, that needs to be fixed and repaired. And literally, uh, every game out of the 15 had some problem. And yeah. eventually, as I continued on my quest because I was just so ticked off, finally the manager or whatever else <laughs> came over and it's like, you know, what's going on? And it's like, all right, this is the deal. The games aren't working. You're taking people's money when you shouldn't. God only knows you're probably earning 10 bucks a week on each of these when you could <laughs> be earning 200 if you only took care of them. Yeah. Well, and he started giving me some lip, and I said, look, my name's Roger Sharp. I come from Williams Valley Midway, and it kind of just stopped him dead in his tracks. Yeah. I guess he had heard about me or at least knew the company, and as I started apologizing, I said, look, C.A. Robinson is just down on Pico Boulevard. You got Betson out here. I mean, you have the distributors. I don't know if you're operating these and you bought them or somebody else is, but, you know, you got to make something happen. And I said, if not, 
I guess I'm going to have to write something in replay and play meter and really let people know that uh, this is not a place to go anymore, and this is just uh, a scourge on uh, the face of CoinOut. Now, I don't know if they ever did anything because of, you know, whenever my next trip was out, but those are the kinds of things that I wound up doing repeatedly when I found games that were not functioning right. Did not turn off the video games where, you know, it's an NFL blitz, but it's really Pac-Man. Right, right. <laughs> but I think that, you know, the issue really became much more of not maintaining games and losing those people who were the technicians, mm-hmm. the guys who could do the repairs. And I often wondered about that. And I know that it's easy to kind of open up a door, turn on the lights, sit back behind a counter or sit back behind uh, an office door somewhere waiting for people to come in. But that's not the nature of, you know, what the business is all about. And the ones who are successful are the ones who maintain and take care of their games. They listen to the players. They actually maybe do some outreach and either run leagues, whether it's pinball leagues Mm -hmm. or dart leagues or anything else. Sure. Uh, I mean, they do things that invite you to want to not only go back, but go back more often and stay longer. And I think that that is one of the great tragedies of the coin-operated amusement game industry, is that you have people that kind of lost their way, because the times were good. And whether it was second or third generation, nobody learned from them from what they knew to be right. It's always been a point of contention for me. Because even with Greg's documentary tilt, you know, I've been one that have said that Pinball 2000 as a platform didn't fail. It was successful. It just wasn't successful enough for a publicly held company. Right. It should ever, ever feel, and I know that Gary has always made a big deal about we do mechanical action pinball and, and not knocking Gary. Uh, but, you know, we're not doing video, and a lot of people were up in arms when uh, Pinball 2000 uh, first came out, nobody had seen it. It was over in the UK at the trade show, and uh, everybody already had opinions. Everybody was already burying it. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem was that all we were doing were uh, we were bringing in a new component, a new element, something that hopefully would spell a better future for pinball. And, you know, again, it wasn't meant to be, but it wasn't a failure. And I think that pinball on and to itself is not a failure. The problem is, and it's it's what confronts Gary, it's what's going to confront Jack Guinari, Jersey Jack, you know, if and when, not if, but when eventually we get to see Wizard of Oz and it's out on location, are those games going to be maintained? Mm-hmm. And if they're not going to be maintained, then there really is no future for pinball outside of it existing in somebody's home mm-hmm. in their rec room or basement where it is dealt with with tender loving care. I think, you know, you're, well, you're of course right on because nowadays when you have places like Barcade or Fun Spot and you have, you have, uh, or, or like Pinball Hall of Fames or, you know, specialty, uh, places, I don't know all the names across the country, but there's not many and those are the places where people are very passionate about the upkeep of their systems and, um, and promoting different things, as you mentioned, competitions and, and, uh, really, really getting out there and there's definitely clientele. Yep. Well, but yes. we don't necessarily embrace them with open arms. How many times have you gone into places, and maybe not recently, for those who are actually listening to us and hearing all of this, but uh, how many times did you ever go into places where there was a sign-up, hi, we're not responsible for lost money, play at your own risk, no refunds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there anything else that you want to do to dissuade me? Mm. 
are you going to ever kind of sweep the floor? Are you going to vacuum the carpeting? Right. Are you going to wipe off the gunk that's on the field glass? Oh, man, you ain't kidding. I mean, all of the stuff that we would kind of take as being second nature because it's the retail business, all of that fell by the wayside. And it really is. I mean, it, I'm saddened by it because I like to think of myself as still being relatively young and in a short period of my lifetime from when I did the pinball book to now, 95% of those places that James Hamilton and I visited and that James took pictures of don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at the stills that uh, I allowed Steam to use in Special One Lit of various, you know, game rooms, and it saddens me because we don't have that part of our culture anymore for younger people to go out and really experience. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're losing something as a result of not having that experience. I see it with, you know, my sons, Josh and Zan, and the fact that they were around everything. I mm -hmm. mean, fortunately, but, you know, even the places we used to visit, the places we used to do for birthday parties, mm, right. you know, those places don't exist. I used to have five or six game rooms within a three-mile radius of my home in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. None of them exist anymore. So where do you find games? And to the point that we were just talking about, not only where do you find games, but what kind of condition are they in? Dave and Busters, uh, mm. I think that the majority of them don't even operate pinball anymore, right. and most of the video product that they have is old. Disney, well, they closed. ESPN Zone, oh, they? they closed. Hmm. So if you think about all the major chains that kind of popped up, the Aladdin's Castles of the World and mm -hmm. such, going back to the mid-70s, right. they don't exist anymore. Most of the game rooms now, whether it's a Chuck E. Cheese or a Boomers in the Southeast or Nickels and Dimes on the West Coast, if you're looking at chains geared to families, most of them are now geared to a younger audience for mm -hmm. birthday parties. Sure. So it's a lot of redemption product. There's not a lot of dedicated video games. There are some drivers. There are some shooters. Pinball, probably not. A generation grows up thinking that, well, that's somebody else's old-time stuff. Or they find it in somebody's basement, a friend's, an uncle's, a parent's. And uh, they know of only you know one pinball machine mm -hmm. or two. Right. And that's their exposure. Sure. Or they get it as an app. Or they'll get it as something that they can do on their you know Wii. Mm -hmm. or their PlayStation, and that to them is pinball. Or that That's to the them is a particular it. video game. I, I don't think that Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter outlive their usefulness as coin-operated games, but there's not the intent by the companies that are now owning those franchises, Capcom and in this case now Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, to bring those out into coin-op. We often talk about uh, just social interactivity and things like this, but... As you mentioned, how many pinballs out there, I, I couldn't believe it because I, I started getting very interested in the art styles because I also dabble in the crayons and things like that, as well as music and, and other things I'm involved with. And I really became attached to uh, Christian March uh, artwork. Okay, sure. And uh, especially like Misso and Astronaut, that the more angular things, as well as uh, when it got into Disco Fever and Bolo and things like this. He, or I don't know if it's a he or a, a, a team, because I see it written as MSSR, which normally means more than one man. 
Right. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand who Christian March is, but I know the name and I love that art style. He was responsible for 150 tables or something like that. And then there were two artists that outdid him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just like those are just two or three artists and they all have over 150 tables. I mean, it must have just been an amazing amount of machines created over the span of pinball. And especially since you're pinball that we know, I don't remember when Humpty Dumpty came out, but 1947. Okay. So we're, we're, yeah, I was going to say around 51. So yeah. So 47 up until uh, pinball 2000 really. And and well, now even with the Stearns, I I don't want to discredit those. I still enjoy a lot of Stern tables. I think that Gary still does some nice games. Mm-hmm. It may not be everybody's cup of tea, and I know that he's looking at different ways to simplify the games uh, because he thinks that that's a, a problem or an issue or, or, or a point of intimidation for some of today's players. So, mm-hmm. you know, wants to keep it simpler, just one toy or just one this or just one that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see how all that plays out and whether or not that's really the solution. I don't believe that necessarily is. I think it's just a question of coming up with fun, reliable stuff. And I go back to it. Fun, reliable stuff that when any of us go out to put our money in, we're going to be rewarded with a well-functioning product. And if we're not, then you know what? I guess you're going to kind of lose us. Sure. Because we don't want to just throw our money away. Or maybe some people do. (laughs) Uh, I, for one, do not necessarily want to throw my money away. Right on. Roger, I want to ask you about one more table in particular, but before I do that, I want to just bring up a game that I think is a perfect title, and I don't know, I I assume you're familiar with it because of of how knowledgeable you are, but I really am crazy about a game from 1977 called Centigrade 37. (laughs) Sure, single player from uh, Gottlieb. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I just think it has so much good about it. It has so many of my favorite things. I don't know how innovative it was. It was a classic layout mm. that Gottlieb had done for years and years and years, which uh, used to affectionately be called uh, going to the races on the right side. If okay. Serves. Right, right. Those those six-section side rail things yep. on the right. I, I love that. It, it has drop targets. It has a kick-out hole. It has, I, I guess they're called stand-up targets. I'm not sure. Just the circle, the bullseye type of ones. Yep. Okay. And then uh, it doesn't have uh, any um, slingshots um, down by the flippers. Nope. Don't need it, it. It has the three lanes on the right. And, and I love that the third lane on the right features that drain as well as the pin that's there. That depending oh, you on would how like you, that. Yep. Depending that on, sucks. You don't like it? Well... <laughs> If you're catching and trying to cradle a ball that was coming down to that uh, right flipper, mm-hmm. and uh, Williams did the same thing on Grand Prix. I mean, it was right. something that was done to cut down on you know ball time. Invariably, the ball would kind of roll back yeah. and out. That's true. But to your point, yeah, I mean, if I have an out lane, and that out lane gives me a chance to bounce it back up, thinking of games uh, that were designed for it, uh, like Flip Flop or even Centaur. Mm-hmm. where you can bang it back into the return lane to the flipper, yeah, that's good. So, yes, I mean, I was never a fan of it, but back in those days when we did gun and run and we didn't do a lot of cradling, it wasn't too much of a factor. Gotcha, gotcha. But uh, to watch players and been to a couple of the IFPA events, gone to a couple of uh, the shows that are now featuring you know older games along with newer games, and you watch some of the reaction 
to players who weren't aware of it. And all I have to do is just do it once. Uh-huh. It's like, whoa, where'd the ball go? What oh, that's just not right. Okay, fine. Now I'll know that I can't dead flip or I can't do this or I can't do that. And it's it's fun to see them kind of uh, be exposed to uh, to games from another era. And I guess conversely, too, it's, it's interesting to see them when they think it's going to drain down there and it just bumps right out down to your flipper. Yep. And the only thing, again, in trying to work off of memory, if memory serves one of the, the tragedies of Centigrade and other games from that era, but it happened a lot with Gottlieb designs, and it was okay then. The problem was when it kind of continued, you can never do a bare bumper where the flipper can hit it directly because you're going to shatter it. Oh, uh, And you. the flipper strength back then when Centigrade came out wasn't too much of an issue. But, mm-hmm. you know, invariably you'd wind up getting screwed anyway because it's right in the center of the play field. And if you hit it dead on, it's going to come right back at you. Right, right. But uh, you always try to protect those jets from direct hits like that. Another feature I like about it is that backlash feedback with the thermometer. Yep. And the thermometer would rise with uh, by hitting certain things and, and as well as having a score. And that reminds me of another game, which I get, was probably one of the first. To, I'm not sure, once again, but uh, speaking of 1951, Hayburners was also a game mm-hmm. that I've been playing. And that featured, before reels, you, you, you had, uh, I think it was five horses, something like that. But there were actual horses on the back glass. Yep. And... Uh, yeah, that were the, running around. The game would pick uh, which horse you were to be. It was nothing but slingshots and bumpers on each side. Each bumper would correlate to a number of the horses. And uh, the, the only problem with that, it had the reverse flippers. So, right. Yeah, yeah, well, the, because that was from that time frame. Sure. That was uh, actually a Harry Williams design from way okay. back when. Yeah, that was another really neat uh, game. But uh, like I said, I, I really enjoy the, the centigrade 37. I don't know what 37 refers to. Perhaps the chest size of the lady in there. I'm not yeah, sure. really. Either that or, I don't know, Celsius versus Fahrenheit. I don't know how much involvement you had th- with this, but it's a question I always wanted to ask. Uh, when you were involved with, with Williams, how did you scope the competition? Like, how important was it what other companies were doing? Did you have the tables and machines and things like that in-house or we were secret shoppers that you'd go and you know that's <laughs> well, what i did at kmart i'd go i go let, to a giant let me and, speak of it uh and, and i'll use uh narc as as the example because okay. when i came on in 1988 eugene and his team were uh finishing up narc and obviously you're admittedly the first game using digitized graphics mm. and when atari followed a year later with pit fighter mm-hmm uh, and the resolution wasn't as good. The movement wasn't as good. I don't think that there was ever a concern internally, and we'll talk about video, and then I'll switch to pinball, of whatever anybody else was doing. I think that everybody had a mindset as to what they wanted to create, the technologies that we were able to you know, utilize and work with. And I think the net result was that we came out with some exceptional product. Having said that, Admittedly, and again, with video, you wind up looking at the marketplace and saying, well, you know what? There hasn't been a good gun game. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's do Terminator as a gun game. Let's do Revolution X, and you know, let's see if Roger can actually get us Aerosmith. So I think we tended to look at things on that basis and say, okay, there hasn't been a good game like this. God, there hasn't been a good double joystick game since Robotron 
we're going to do Smash TV. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to f- follow it up with Total Carnage. So I think that that was the mindset, okay? I think when you look at pinball, I think the feeling that was pervasive throughout was that we were our own competition. We knew that Data East back then was just following and copying and kind of knocking us off. Mm-hmm. We knew that Premier really kind of had their own direction. Golly knows what that direction was, taking nothing away from John Norris, who for a period of time was the principal designer. And, and they were just, you know, really hit and miss. We looked at what it was that we wanted to do, and everybody had a very unique perspective. Everybody had a unique design style. Everybody had a unique philosophy, whether it was Pat Lawler with his toys, Steve Ritchie with it's got to be smooth and rough mm-hmm. and in your face, uh, George Gomez, who absolutely tried to go the route of Steve, only a tad tamer when it came to his designs and layouts. Dennis, who was a little bit more fanciful with his designs and you know wanting uh, a ramp to go through the backboard, a la Elvira and the Party mm-hmm. Monsters, mm-hmm. or wanting a ramp that did dips and doodles, a la Whitewater. I mean, everybody had their own approach to what it was that they wanted to accomplish as opposed to, oh, wow, let's take a look. So to the point of, did we have games in-house? No, we'd go on a location. Oh, wow, Galaxy Games has the new test piece from Gottlieb. All right, who's going out? You know, <laughs> you, do, you do the trek. You see, you know, the competition that's there with you all standing in line to play the game. Mm. And you play the game and you get a feel for it. And it's like, wow, not bad. Guess this works, kind of like this one, or we don't, or you got to be kidding me. And the same thing with video games, because all of the game rooms were, you know, in immediate vicinity. And we knew everybody tested stuff. And when we put our own stuff out on test, in quotes, supposedly secretly, of course you'd bump into people and be like, hi, didn't think we'd find you here, because it was it was kind of like a, a community. And, sure. and admittedly, before I got directly into the business, and was still living in New York City, and would come out, whether it was when I was designing Paracore or Sharpshooter or, or some of the other projects that I worked on, mm-hmm. my thing always used to be, so where are we going tonight? To the designers. Let's go. Let's go out. I want to go play. I want to go and visit like 89 different places. Come on, let's go do this. Because that's what you kind of live and breathe. And I think that it's healthy to kind of go out there and not just play what the competition has, whether it's brand new or, or if it's older. I always thought of it as a great way to do market research. And the market research to me was observing. What are the people playing? I'm going to go there on a Friday night. I'm going to go there on a Saturday afternoon. I'm going to go on a Monday. I mean, I can go at various times and just see what are they playing? Are they playing our games? Are they playing not our games? We have a new one. How is that tracking? And, you know, the test locations, we used to get earnings reports. Mm-hmm. So we kind of knew what was and what was not working. Gotcha. And what had legs and what didn't have legs. I guess I always saw it as more mechanical, more, I guess I had an impression of backwards engineering. And what it is more like is, you know, appreciation for uh, the, the art of it and inspiration. Just like when I do a song or I do a, a piece of artwork, I, I like to look at other artists and right. it either inspires me or doesn't. And it helps build me as a person. And I think that's what sounds like a lot more like me. Now, you are saying market research, but even that is sounding more poetic than how I always envisioned it. Right. And I no, guess I understand. And I yeah. think a lot of people thought of it as being, I won't call it 
more of an exact science because it, it is when you're looking at just the the sheer geometry and, mm-hmm. and what's necessary to to make a game really function sure. uh, and have it be fun and have the angles work and, and all the rest of it and or at least have the pacing right if it's a video game mm-hmm. and and I think that that's how and where the magic happened and and I think that that was the beauty of game design back during that era. It wasn't a question of whatever anybody else was doing so mm-hmm. much as it was a question of how do we push ourselves to be better. Mm-hmm. And the movement and the direction and, and, yeah, and uh, all, the all the good stuff. You mentioned that you, I guess, obtained the Aerosmith license. How did that come into being a part of a, a machine gun game? <laughs> well, um, George and Jack, George Petro and Jack Hager had an idea to do a gun game. And they wanted to have it be musically based. And they thought that, wouldn't it be great? I mean, this is, we're talking the the preliminary initial, initial stuff when we sat down together. We'd like to do something, and I even forget what the overall gameplay was, but we want to feature a country and western. Hmm. We want to feature rock. We want to feature soul. I mean, we want to get all of this stuff into one game. And again, I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was, you know. Battle of the Bands or something else, but ideally to appeal to the broadest based audience possible. And that just didn't seem like it was going to make a lot of sense to try to, you know, acquire whoever or identify, you know, what artists slash artists or groups are going to be preeminent in their particular genre. And the guys came up with a concept and uh, decided and settled on, and not settled in a negative way, but just settled on. God, it would be incredible if we could actually get Aerosmith. They're just amazing. And, you know, what we want to do is a storyline. want to take it into the future. And they've been kidnapped. And the gameplay is going to be we have to rescue them. And once we rescue all of them as the player, they're going to perform in a concert for us. But not like Journey. Right, but not like Journey, exactly correct. Okay. And uh, I wound up uh, tracking down uh, the, the management company, traveled out to Boston, which is where they were based, sat down, met with them, did the pitch, told them that we needed them to come into Chicago <laughs> to do motion capture and to do uh, speech and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we worked it all out. And I remember them coming out with their big bus and whatever else. and. <laughs> The makeup people and parked here on Roscoe Avenue, and there they were inside on treadmills and doing other which way stuff for all the stunts and things that are in the game and doing, you know, the vocals. And uh, it was a great game. I mean, I think it was a great game from the context of it being incredibly complex. Mm. (laughs) It was a deep game. Whether or not the pacing was right, could it have been more successful? I don't know. But I I think that it it did okay. It didn't do gangbusters like T2 did. Mm, sure. But I, I think that for what the guys wanted to accomplish and achieve, and maybe, as I talk it through, maybe they wanted to do four games in one. Maybe there was another one that would have been a you know country and western theme under along the same lines. And it just became you know too grandiose, and we kind of scaled it back. But the ability to work with you know Tyler Perry and, and, mm-hmm. and the rest of the guys in the group was, yeah, I mean, it was exciting. It was exceptional. And, they went out on tour. I remember going that summer. We went to a couple of concerts. They traveled uh, with games, and the games were put out there along with the vendors who were selling Aerosmith shirts and oh, all great. the rest of it. So we got a lot of 
bang for the buck, if you will, going back to what I was talking about previously in this call, of uh, being able to get more exposure for it and well, making people more aware of you know what it was that we'd achieved, which is pretty damn impressive. Definitely. Well, I just have one more question for you, and then I'll, I'll let you I'll let you go if you don't mind. No, go for it. I mentioned about themes for pins and uh, cards and pool and bowling and robots and um, things like that. All the classic elements that have been around for years. Yes, go for it. Uh, And one of my favorite, I guess, uh, what was it called? Pinball pool, which had you playing against a robot. uh, (laughs) character. That was a Gottlieb game. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a good title. But one of my favorite trilogy, and I think probably the only trilogy, has got to be Pinbot. Bride of Pinbot, and I, from what I read here, you were involved with Jackbot. Yeah. And Jackbot combined cards and, and a, a female robot and a male robot. And yep. a to- big toy in the middle, and just, uh, I love the designs of those, those games. Uh, oh, I think that they were wonderful, and the other trilogy, in all honesty, is Cyclone, okay. Comet, and Hurricane. Gotcha, the, the theme park-based uh, based titles. Yep. Can you tell me anything about my my favorite trilogy, the Pinbots and the Brides and the Jacks, well, or no? Uh, um, sure. Okay. Uh, Pinbot. I think I was out when uh, Barry Osler and Python were working on it. Didn't have a lot of input, from what I remember, other than maybe there were some rule sets in terms of the planets and what you wound up doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For Bride of Pinbot, most definitely, I remember. Uh, Python was thinking of a few different things to do, and we kind of talked about what his main feature was, and obviously the main feature was, I'm going to give her sight, I'm going to give her speech, Mm -hmm. I mean, she's going to sing, she's going to spin, we're going to do all these great things. And the heartbeat and all Mm -hmm. the rest of it were uh, some of it and how the jackpots were, so kind of worked a little bit with that, and admittedly, again, for, uh, for that one in particular, the brochure, yes was mine okay did the writing did the layout worked with the ad agency and all the rest of it and on jackpot which was effectively a redo mm-hmm. with larry demar kind of heading up the team a redo of pinbot with a different rule set obviously with cards with the cheats if you're pressing and, and you're landing into the saucer on the top left and working through with that and again working on uh, the brochures and the promoting and all the rest of it. Uh, I think from a gameplay standpoint, I know that there were any number of discussions and meetings where you know we kind of kicked around what was going to be the best approach and how do we do this? How can we get the target bank to really work well? Because you know we're talking about technology that had been a few years you know previous, and to recreate that uh, that bank wasn't as easy as people might assume. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a question of just saying hi. Let's just use the same tooling that we did before. I mean there was. There was absolutely a need and an adjustment for it. But, uh, yeah, I think that you're looking at some uh, exceptional games that really have endured. Oh, uh, definitely. You know, when I, when I see yeah. them at places like Pinball Expo or Midwest Gaming Classic, and you wind up, uh, it's, it's kind of like revisiting old friends. It's like, wow, okay, let me go play this. And hopefully it's in good shape to play. We're really kind of enjoying it. Yeah, I definitely think they could stand up next to just about any any other pin uh, created, and even uh, not not to take away from your Star Treks and and uh, 
Terminators and things like that are uh, uh, very good games as well. But I think it's a perfect mix. And right in the middle, uh, well, it wasn't really in the middle, the late middle, I guess. <laughs> but uh, those are probably my favorite uh, tables. Uh, and, of course, you know, like we mentioned, Evil Knievel last time and that lured right. you to sleep. And uh, that, that will always hold a special uh, place in my heart. Not the $6 million, I love the $6 million man, the table. I'm not crazy about well, and it's interesting when you say that. You know, I used to admittedly review games for Playmater, and now Josh and Zach are, you know, taking on that mantle, and Playmater is, you know, one of the industry trade magazines. Mm-hmm. I've always believed, and, and it's going to sound really kind of strange, maybe even corny, or this guy's got to be kidding, and I don't care if it's a pinball machine or a video game or a novelty game. I really believe that every game that's created, home product as well, there's a marketplace. There's somebody out there. It may only be one person. It could be a million. Sure. Or it could be a hundred million. But there is somebody out there that's going to like this. And I think with pinball in particular, to your point, it doesn't matter the era. I mean, I can have fun playing a Mills official from 1932. Definitely. And it may not have the sounds, and obviously it doesn't have the sounds, and it doesn't have lights and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a certain delicacy and, and intricacy to how to play it. And that, to me, is kind of mesmerizing, and I can jump up and play something else from another era, as we had talked about. I guess at Hayburners, the flippers are you know, mm. set up the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Or I can even take the light in Wonelli, what mm. Dennis and Greg have done, and I know I've had some input on that as well from a design standpoint, but you know they have really kind of updated and held true to a game from the 50s. And I think that for people who want a certain experience with pinball, the one constant is tactically interactive and is it challenging? Can you have some fun with it? And can you relate to it in its purest form? You know, one of the greatest tests working for a a pinball manufacturer is playing a game as a whitewood. And most mm. people out in the world don't get a chance to do that yeah. unless somebody at a trade show has one. And to just bat a ball around and play it for the kinetics, mm-hmm. for the feeds, can I make this shot, can't I? There's no scoring in place yet. There's no lights. There's no nothing. You're just hitting on bare wood. Mm-hmm. And when you can do that and enjoy it, that's what it's all about. And I think that that's the beauty of pinball, that you can do those kinds of things and hopefully find something that you like. Or, look, everybody doesn't like every pinball machine that's out there, but you're going to hopefully find something that is intrinsic to a particular game. And although you may not like it like it, maybe you can appreciate, yeah, I mean, that part of it, it's okay. (laughs) I don't have to play it again. But I can understand, yeah, that part's okay. But I prefer this one over here. Right on. And I think that that's the beauty of it. You know, pinball is multiple flavors of ice cream. Mm. And if you like ice cream, damn, today you might want chocolate and tomorrow you may want Rocky Road. I mean, there is something for everyone from any era going back to, you know, 1871 with Montague Redgraves, improvements in bagatelles. There is something for everyone that you can have an appreciation to, to play it, to watch somebody play it. And I think that that's the beauty of, of pinball. And you said it so aptly. A lot of the games from the eras that we're talking about can be successful today if they were released today. I believe they don't, have, they don't need to have all the bells and whistles and all the other stuff that there is an audience out there. And, and I know there's, you know, 
come on over with the Pinball Hall of Fame and mm-hmm. the museum that Silverman is trying to do, and there's another place in Jersey, and there's places all around that have older games along with newer games, and, you know, they're kept in pristine shape, and people go in, and whether it's for a nickel or a dime, or maybe they charge a quarter or whatever else, people are being exposed to these games, and they're playing them, and they're having some fun with them. And that's why I said, I mean, I think that, that pinball, to me, has been and always will be timeless. Roger Sharp, thank you so very much for joining us again, and we hope to have you back on in the future. Uh, I don't know what we'll talk about, but uh, <laughs> you, you are a treasure trove of information. Well, it is my uh, pleasure to, to be on with you, and uh, thanks for uh, having, number one, so much fun with uh, all the games that are out in the world, yeah, uh, new and old, and uh, being able to expose all of that to uh, the people who find you incredibly and constantly entertaining and invigorating and for that i say thanks and my appreciation for letting me be part of it all oh thanks roger take care now you too bye bye always great to talk to roger sharp fantastic stuff and i have to just remind everyone in the we talk games listen verse how fortunate you are first we find out all the skinny on blood wake and now Revolution X. What more? Where can you find the inside scoops on those two beloved franchises? Hey, you know what my favorite pinball table is? Uh, Starjet? Nope. Johnny Mnemonic. I mean Johnny Mnemonic? That's it. Why? I would not have guessed that you like the newer tables. Well, the 16-year-old new tables. There's another table that was probably more popular than the movie it was based on. It was based on a movie? I never heard of it. You are not alone, Stink. You are not alone. It has one of your favorite stars, Keanu Reeves, in it. In fact, the same photo that they used of him for Johnny Mnemonic is almost identical to the one that they used for the cover of The Day There Stood Still. And not only that, I mean, it has Henry Rollins, Dolph Lundgren, Ice-T. How can you miss with that acting powerhouse lineup? Yeah, I guess. But that table is awesome. I mean, you have that really quick U-turn up top. There's the data glove uh, toy in there where it it super magna locks the ball to the glove. And then you get to go and move the glove over to the left and and drop the ball into any one of those uh, tic-tac-toe boards and a lot of multi-ball chances. Why why didn't you speak up and ask Roger Sharp about this? He probably obtained the license for this one. And we had George Gomez on the show. This is one of the projects he was involved with. He designed this table. Well, because you told me people don't like when I talk. Well, uh, that is the sad truth, Stinky, and unfortunately, it's coming to my attention that everybody hates you. Everybody, everybody hates me, huh? Okay, well, well, it's good to know. Well, I did, I did not know that. Repent, sinners. All right, where are you going? Do you want to know what my favorite table is? I'd be very interested in knowing. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Hmm. Well, see, that's another surprise right there. What? Did you think I was going to mention one of those tables with the robot floozies on it? No, yeah, just, uh, you know, something with a little more, like, maybe maybe Black, Black Knight 2000 or something like that. Something very fast, very fluid, very smooth, a lot of audio feedback, the singing, the things like that, things that you like to do. I mean, I, I like Close Encounters a lot as well. They, they came out with... 
both a very limited run of the electromechanical version and then almost 10,000 solid state versions. I, I like the mothership artwork on, uh, I like the mothership artwork on both of them, actually. The playfield art reminds me a lot of a comic book style art. I love the, the side cabin art, very basic graphic design. It has a lot of the classic Gottlieb playfield elements. And I really like the fact that the two bumpers are off to the side. And as much as they try to discourage drains by placing strategic pins around the table, it's still one of those tables where I can get like 250,000 points on one ball and then all the rest of them would just drain right down the middle. And it's also kind of cool because this was made around 1978 and it was a licensed title. And you think about licenses today, like when you look at all the Stern tables and they put, you know, Family Guy and you have those type of toys. And you could almost think back then, okay, it's Gottlieb. They're like, we got to do something really special. And then they put in that Roto Target wheel, which wasn't a new invention. But that's sort of what they came up with for this flying saucer themed table. And once you hit like every lane, then you start building up that one times 10,000, one times 20,000, and you get up to the five times 20,000. And it's just very exciting once you get that table going. So I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that table. Oh, I really enjoy it. That's just great. I finally try to add some content to the show, and you go and yap all about my favorite game. What am I even here for? I, I, I guess for me to constantly say I'm sorry, TT. I told you, I was just very excited about pinball lately, so can you just do me a favor and go find Stink, make sure he's all right. I, you know, I didn't mean to upset him with anything either. Oh, yeah, go get Stinky, go down to the store, go pose for an etching, somehow leave the studio so you don't have to be on the show. I got it. Have fun, Wigs, live it up. Uh, I'm sorry, TT, again? Jeez, what it is today? And everything's over-modulated too, Keith. What the heck is going on? All right, I'm happy. I think I think it's a quite dandy show. I'm delighted to have Roger Sharp on. I just don't know what's going on in the studio. I, again, I feel over-modulated. Keith, please get a handle on this. Let's let's try to get happy again. Let's get Johnny Capcom on the line. He always cheers me up. Go, Johnny Capcom from Galway. Yes. What's your question? Uh, my question. Yes. Um. <sighs> How did you get past the screener? Which screener? The uh, Keith Laposh. Oh, um, I don't know. I guess uh, Keith was playing with his dogs in the snow, or you know, something like that. And then he, I just kind of snuck in the back door. What games you have for us today? I got some some odd uh, bits and bobs. I'm kind of uh, play, playing games, not really setting time aside. I'm just uh, playing them as they come to me. I see, I see. As as are we all, I think. But uh, I, well, usually I used to kind of go, "Oh, well, I'm going to buy this game at this time," or something like that. You know, now it's just uh, my gaming habits are almost a reaction to things that are uh, going on in my life. I guess. I see. But, uh, with these tough economic times, I guess. Now, I, I, I guess they're having some economic problems in Ireland as well. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. You know, uh, Benjamin Franklin once uh, said, there's two things in life you cannot escape, and that is death and taxes. Now, do they have death and taxes in Ireland? Uh, certainly. Uh, we have actually integrated taxes. So, uh, you know, like if you're purchasing a, 
something in a shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tax is part of the price, so you don't have to calculate your taxes until you understand you may have to do in uh, your United States. We have all kinds of taxes. We have the, the state tax, which is put on goods that are not food goods or necessities. Like, And then uh, we, we also have an income tax. And that we pay each year to state and federal and, and the, some states don't have income tax. Some states don't have, uh, the state tax on goods. Uh, but that's not this state. Okay. Well, here we just pay a flat tax. Why are we talking about taxes? Why are we talking about Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker on the Megadrive? That's what I want to talk about. Yeah. I was watching, um, an old uh, UK video game review show called Games Master on uh, on YouTube, and it's all up there if anyone wants to check it out. Started, I think it was just began around 1991, and uh, of course reviews, you know, Mega Drive and Amiga games and all that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool looking at people play Amigas with these weird fishing rod controllers. I don't know if you've ever ran into any of those. Oh, have they're, I? They're, uh, I've seen them. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. With the the thing on the top, and you hold it like a, a sword. I, but anyway, these people were playing. Uh, they were playing Jimmy White's Whirlwind Snooker around there, and I remember, you know, back in the day, playing that with some friends of mine and my friend uh, James's kitchen. That we played the Mega Drive version, so I decided to to go online and buy it. Oh. Um, I'm terrible at it, and this kind of this month, my games. I'm kind of bad at them all. Okay. This game, I'm really bad at. I can't beat the the easy difficulty uh, computer. And I'm sure, I'm sure when me and my friends used to play it, I was probably the worst of the lot. But if you're looking for a 16-bit snooker sim for your Genesis, uh, you can't really go wrong. In the states here, we didn't really get a lot of snooker games. Well, that's a real shame. Did you get pool games? We did get pool. Yes. Did you get that arcade pool game? That came with the strippers in it, the anime strippers. Oh, uh, boy, I don't know which one that is. Lunar Pool was my favorite, and I, w- I wanted to talk about Lunar Pool on an upcoming show. That was for the NES. I don't know if uh, if you remember that at all. I don't remember the NES, I'm, no. Yeah, I know you didn't do a lot of NES and Nessin, as they say. <laughs> Lunar Pool, you could do snooker in there, and you could do all types of, they had all types of octagonal, you know, and crazy tables. And then you could set gravity to be worse than the moon. So, like, you hit the cue ball and it would go forever, you know, uh, just about. So, it was kind of neat. Lunar Pool. Look into it. Tell me about anime strippers. I'm interested in this. Well, the yeah, the anime stripper game, if anyone is listening who's from Wexford, like I, I uh, am, this uh, particular cabinet was housed in the Caraclo Winning Post Arcade. Probably disappeared around 1996, but before that, it was there. And uh, it was kind of like a top-down pool simulator. Um, mm-hmm. And it had, you know, like when you'd move the your aim, I guess, your uh, thing, uh, a line would appear and, you know, the line would bounce off and show where, where the ball is going to be, you know, sure. the ball's trajectory and all that. And, uh, but... You play it against virtual women, mm-hmm. and you play against, I guess, you know, a conservative uh, woman, you know, who she's kind of just hanging out and uh, playing pool with you, and then you move on to, uh, you know, a lady of the evening, as uh, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes would say, <laughs> and uh, you'd play her, and instead of getting points, she would uh, remove articles of clothing. Hmm. You know, uh, out of the thousands and thousands of video games I played over the year, I, I, 
this is in there somewhere. I just have to build uh, some more neural pathways to that information. But I, th- I think it's somewhere in there. Anime-style women in this game, and pretty fun game to play. I, I, I imagine it's done by someone, by a Japanese studio who kind of did that art style, you know? Mm-hmm. So could be SNK, could be Dead East, something like that. Hmm. If anyone didn't know the name, I'd be... I'd love to hear it because I'd love to play it again, obviously. I think it's not called Snooker. I think it's called Hooker. Yeah, that'd be it. <laughs> but uh, I'd love to play that game again now that I'm old enough to, you know? Sure. Because uh, <laughs> I, I was too young to see nipples and stuff. Gotcha. When I was looking at them. Right, you had to cover your eyes. A, yeah. <laughs> but uh, another game I was too young to play back then. Uh, but I play it anyway. I guess you could say I was too young to play, play Mortal Kombat 2. Well, I've never heard of this Mortal Kombat 2. Now, what is this? What are you doing? Blow into this? What happens? It's a fighting game. You know where you got two guys and you were one of them and you fight the person until the blood comes out of them until they're dead? Hmm. That's kind of what happens. And, uh, it, it, you know, it was quite popular. Same, I'm surprised they didn't have it where you, you live, you know. I believe those games were called Haymakers when they came to the States here. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. The Haymakers. It was ignorant of me not to uh, localize my description of these things. Yeah. But, (laughs) uh, you know, again, uh, Mortal Kombat 2, you know, second in the series of many Mortal Kombat games. I think the best. uh, Mm -hmm. Sure. Now, what system did you play this on? I actually picked up, I think it's Midway Arcade Classics Remixed. That's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, for PSP. Okay. Yeah, I own it on the PS2 as well, but I was just, uh, I was saw a copy of this and I saw I'd like to be able to play Mortal Kombat on a, on a bus or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, pick it up. And it looks great. The emulation is pretty good. And, you know, there's a nice selection of games on there. You get, you know, Sinistar is on there and uh, Tubin. Stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. John Tubin. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, I, you know, I guess localized fun there, but um, right. I remember that playing that. When it came out, I remember there was these kind of sit-down arcade cabinets that they had in Tremor in Waterford. And uh, there was always like a gang of like 10 people deep surrounding this cabinet watching people play. And because I was like a little small kid, I used to weave in through uh, the people's legs. Hmm. And I would uh, sit in between the seats. There was two seats uh, at the thing. And I would sit in between and just look up at the... Um, the action unfolding, you know. Of course, when I get my turn, I would be slaughtered because I was terrible at it. Speaking of our arcade titles, the iPad received a phenomenal game from Konami. It's called X-Men Arcade. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this or played it on every system that you own. Yes, uh, I'm in that category. But it, it came out for the iPad, and let me tell you, it's really darn good. I'm always critical, very critical of uh, buttons. The buttons are placed very nicely on here. The back and forth control, well, every now and then it's going to slip up. But it's X-Men Arcade, so you know how much that will affect your final score. Not much. But it has everything, the, the intros, the animations, all that jazz. And it looks great, and it plays wonderfully. And, I, you know, X-Men Arcade now is like coming out on every single system. If you remember back... We used to get Pong on every system. Pong would be on every system. It didn't matter what type of system you had, you play Pong. And then Breakout as well, or Breakout style games. And then, all of a sudden, we started seeing Space Invaders on every single system. Any system you had, 
Space Invaders. Well, and then Tetris was also Tetris was probably the one I kicked it all off, even before we went back to Pong's. Shareware. Sure. And then Pac-Man. We started seeing Pac-Man on every single device that you could ever own. And now it looks like we're getting into X-Men arcades and final fights and things like this on every system. Now, I mean, some systems have had Tekkens or versions of Tekkens, but I don't think we're there yet. And certainly you could play like Ridge Racer on almost all your systems. But there are different versions or modified versions. But when are we going to get to the point where we see these PlayStation 1 games in their entirety proliferating every single system and even on our watches and stuff like that so it's it's kind of neat to see that spread out and you know are you sick of x-men uh not yet maybe arcade games aren't they haven't been completely shoved down everybody's throat yet you know and, true uh when you consider the amount of arcade games that haven't been released onto uh emulation you know you know illegal emulation mm-hmm. uh, that's a lot but yeah. uh, I mean, X Men, you, you know, the new movies out, so I guess that's why they wanted to have it out that weekend. Or, well, this game uh, was definitely developed for use on the iPad, so that's also good. It's not just like scaled up uh, button sizes. I also want to talk about another game for the iPad because uh, I figured I have you on. Perfect person to talk about American football. Oh, yes, yeah. I'm sure you're a big oh, fan. <laughs> Do you do you uh, dress up in the in the colors of your uh, favorite footballers and uh, go be hooligans and things like this for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I don't I don't follow fake sports like football. Gotcha, gotcha. Me either. Uh, roller derby, pro wrestling. That's about it. Now back to remember Backbreaker uh, was supposed to come out. And I was so hyped for this. It was going to come out for the PS3. I was very interested in it, not because I like football or follow it or know any of the teams or anything. But this backbreaker had this physics technology that instead of rotoscoping or uh, motion capturing real people jumping around with ping pong balls all over their body, it used a physics engine that could generate tackles, hits, grabs, runs, things like this on the fly so that every time you got hit, it could be a different type of animation that plays out, sort of like ragdoll physics that we see in other things, except very sophisticated. And then when Backbreaker actually came out for the PS3, it kind of stunk on ice, and it was too hard to control, and it was just all over the place. Now, if that technology would get picked up by EA, that would be probably be uh, really great. But Backbreaker 2 Vengeance HD came out for the iPad, and... It came out like at the 99 cent price that they'll sometimes uh, throw out at you. I really love this game, and I'll tell you why. Number one, you're not playing a football game, uh, American style football game. Uh, do you ever see Australian rule football? Uh, yeah, yeah. That is wacky. Irish football. I watched that Australian rule football for, I don't know, maybe two years. I still don't know what they're doing. They're dribbling, then they throw it at a maypole, then there's a fishing involved, and then you shoot a gun. I don't, I don't know how that happened. Then you're, then you're doing rugby. Weird. But I need a game for that. Then maybe I could figure it out. Uh, but anyway, back to this uh, Backbreaker 2 Vengeance HD. You have uh, two, two basic modes, Tackle Alley and Vengeance. Tackle Alley, you are uh, carrying the ball, and you try to run the entire field while people are trying to tackle you, the opposing team are trying to tackle you. And there's usually only maybe one, maybe four people, um, I don't even know what they're called, defensive 
linemen, you know, linebacker tackle tackle guys. I'm going to call them tackle guys. You know, I think that's a te- okay. technical term. You're running from your end zone down to uh, down to the uh, goal on the other side, and uh, basically you have moves like juke to the left, juke to the right, spin moves. You eventually unlock to leap over low tackles and things like this. And uh, there's little points that are scattered across the play field. That's like 100 points, 200 points. So, I mean, you could just run from one end to the other and not score anything and get away, evade your tackle guys. Or you could try to aim for these point areas and pick up extra points. So, usually when a tackle guy jumps at you, you try to juke out of the way or you try to spin out of the way. Then you get points for uh, missing you. You can also just try to run around them and then they just chase you and you don't get any points and you have to keep hustling. You can also uh, push forward to do a little bit of running, a little bit of um, sprinting. And then after they fall on their butts and you evade them, then you you hit those point numbers and then you can do showboating. And you can start showboating and, you know, doing different dance moves down towards the end zone. And then if you hit the button on the right, you'll do super showboating where you do a really slow showboating and all the while points are ticking up on your score. And then you, you hit the end zone and you're good. But... When you're doing the showboating, you don't know. Is a tackle guy, has he gotten up and he's right on your butt and going to cream you before you get there? And then there's also the vengeance. And vengeance is a mode I actually like playing more. And that's where you're trying to tackle the, uh, you, you are the tackle guy and you're trying to get the ball guy. And, uh, once again, you try to hit the different, uh, points across the, um, football field. And then still try to tackle your guy, and you can you can jump tackle. Um, then he he'll also have some blocker guys trying to <laughs> to run blocks for him. And if you get tackled by one of his block guys, then you you lose and you start over. And the nice thing about this is each level you only get five chances. So if you blow it, you have to start over from zero. So each level is broken up into I don't know five or six smaller levels and then you you go on to the next uh next round next types of uh of neat little things and uh, you know it's very simple it's it it has a football theme uh, there's no licensed teams as far as i know you know as much as i know uh, you know you unless the frankensteins are a real football team i'm not sure or the werewolves um now they're not in there so i don't think it's licensed but the game physics are there it's fun it looks good because you don't have that many men on field it's just you and maybe four or five other other players so everything looks really good that's that's the downfall of a lot of these uh these football games or soccer games on the ipad and iphone is that this is only the processing power of a little bit less than the playstation one so you can't really make detailed characters well well here they're quite good looking because there's not a lot of players on field so i really recommend picking it up and, and by the way you actually tilt to make your players run around so you you have the tilt control and then under your left and right fingers you have the um juke left juke right spin left spin right go fast and maybe one or two other things the the um, showboat buttons are on both sides as well but you don't even realize that you're tilt that you're using tilt control that's how well this controls uh usually you know tilt controls are like meh they're usually pretty lousy, or that's the type of game it's emulating, like one of these Tilt Amaze games or something like that. But these Tilt controls work so naturally that 
you don't even realize that you're not doing it with a thumbstick or something like that. So big kudos to them. They, they really hit a home run with this backbreaker two vengeance HD. When you get your, do you get your back broken in us? There's no ambulance. There's no meat wagon like uh, Madden 92 or whatever that was, 93. <laughs> that was great. I, I still have that Madden when uh, when they had a meat wagon. And they got in so much trouble for that. I, for being insensitive? Listen, people were, people were hung up on dumb things back in those days. I mean, look at all our TurboGrafx games that got bastardized. Horrible. I love the fact that there was a meat wagon. It was something for me, you know. I don't know everything about go-arounds and Hail Marys and Statue of Liberties and all this. I, just, I know that you get your helmet knocked off and your teeth kicked down your throat, and you, then you get an ambulance, and I think that's delightful. That's like a, when I was working in a game shop there a while ago, Madden 2010, I guess, Camus. Mm-hmm. It was on like the display TV, and people were coming up and playing us. I remember this kid was playing, and uh, he, like everyone else in Ireland, has no idea what <laughs> what the rules of American football are. Sure. And uh, I was just walking by looking at him. I was like, do you know what you're doing? And he's like, no. And then he kicked, like, he hit the ball or something like that. And, like, all, all, you know, like, the, uh, is it, what's the, the, the score? What's the... Field goal? Smack I don't know, it was... It's something like SmackDown. Uh, touchdown. That was the one. Oh yeah, touchdown. <laughs> and, That's uh, hilarious. Okay. But uh, he he got this touchdown. He goes, "Yeah, I did it. I think." <laughs> Although the computer may have done. And uh, I was just like, "I think we need to put a new game." Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Either, but I don't know. I mean, it seems it's a lot like rugby, from what I can tell. Uh, American football and so much as the the balls are shaped the same. Right. That's about it, I think. Well, you do get in a huddle, but there's no ball involved with the huddle. You just talk about what play you want to do. So what else you got? Uh, I had a run of a couple of crappy days there a while ago. And I thought, you know, I'd really like to play a video game where I shoot people in the face and their whole body explodes uh, (laughs) as a result of that. So I started playing Robocop versus Terminator. Very good. Um, uh, could have been underrated, Ron Gunner. You know, mm-hmm. you are, of course, a Robocop, and uh, you're knocking around. And I think the Terminators have tagged up with Dick Jones and ICP or OCP Miracles. You're kind of tearing around, and uh, there's Ed 209 is coming after you, and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming after you. So I guess it's probably topical to be talking about it now. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. A lot of you know the, the levels are designed nice enough. They're not too muddy, which is you know a problem on the the Genesis in the early days. Mm-hmm. But uh, music is kind of neat. But I mean, again, you're you got to be Robocop and you got to go around shooting people and they kind of uh, explode into a a hell of gore. It's a nice satisfying uh, running gun game. Kind of like. A more gritty version of Metal Slug, I guess. Uh, it's not really a running gun. I think it's a walking gun. It is it's a Robocop. Gun. Robocop does not. It does everything except run. I've never seen him run. Yeah, unfortunately, he doesn't do any of these fancy kata gun moves either. Oh, you know, he just kind of points it, and you do get to to jump. So, there's, you know, that's one thing Robocop never did in the movies, as far as I can tell. But he jumped down. Like when someone would shoot the, <laughs> you know, the building out from under him, then he would jump down. 
I think if Peter Weller was to try and jump, it probably would have broken his neck or something. Mm-hmm. It's a fun game. I'm assuming you've played it yourself. Sure, sure. Yeah, when it came out. <laughs> That's about it, I think. Now, that was an arcade uh, game yeah. as well, though, I think, right? I don't know. I know there was definitely a RoboCop arcade game, obviously, uh, by Dead East, I believe. Actually, oh, sorry, it, it didn't come out for the arcade. I was thinking of the Game Boy, so that's probably why I got that confused. The arcade and Game Boy. Because all those arcade cabinets that you could hold in your hand. Yeah. It also came up with the, it came out for the Game Gear, the Master System, the NES, the Super Nintendo, and of course the Mega Drive Genesis. Who made this? This oh, was, uh, Ocean. Virgin. Virgin. Well, that's close. Yeah. Ocean, uh, Virgin. So. That, uh, the last uh, thing I was kind of messing around with was uh, Wario or DIY. Okay, uh, getting do, back into that. I do have a, well to an extent. I have never finished a single game uh, that I started to make in that in uh, Mario or DIY. So, um, if anyone out there has made a YouTube tutorial that they could probably point me towards, I'd very much appreciate it because um, I stink at it. I, see. Know, I know Kyle was uh, was throwing together. A couple of games, and I was kind of anxious to play those, but I couldn't get my DS to connect to the internet. I cannot finish a single idea. I got, I've got plenty of really funny ideas. Uh, a lot of them now are probably outdated, you know, because they were probably to do with things I found funny on the internet last year. Sure, but maybe in a couple of years I'll be able to figure out the game mechanic, physics, which things. See, that's the problem. I can draw the little characters and I can name things and select music and all that stuff, but I just cannot for the life of me figure out how to get a game to end. So <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah. Have talk you to your buddy Kyle well, there. Have you had success with this game yourself? Or I have or? not put it in yet. It still has a shrink wrap on it. I bought it to play Kyle's games and... Uh, that's as far as I got. I don't even know what his code is anymore. Give me another five years. I'll be getting into it then. Well, maybe I'll be after, uh, I'll be after making the game by then. So very you know. good, very good. All right, pal. Uh, stick around for the council. I will do. Johnny Capcom. Keith, I'm telling you, I have to, I have to speak in a soothing voice because if I try to talk in my normal podcasting voice, I will over my... In fact, I almost just peeked there. Please, let's just open it up. Let's let's go with the council. The council's going to be delightful, happy, good thoughts. I'm not stressed. Beta blocking. Okay, open it up. All right, council, uh, everyone here, uh, Kyle Von Kubik. I am here, present and able. Did you bring your van? I heard you got a van. I got a van? Oh, I'm thinking of somebody else. Johnny Capcom? Uh, here. All right, great. Now, today's council is going to be something that we don't normally talk about, and that's because it's going to be games that we don't normally talk about, but we really enjoy, and then, since there's going to be slim pickings, since we normally talk about games we enjoy a lot, uh, we're also going to give a little bit of pro-player tips, which is something we don't normally delve into, and... Because we normally mention about six or 7,000 games on each show, I thought it would be nice if we only mentioned a couple, and this way someone can go out and buy all of them. <laughs> Mine's going to be hard to purchase. Okay, well, go ahead, Kyle. Well, Start unless you off. have a lot of loot, chances are you're not going to be purchasing Sega's Derby Owners Club World Edition. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I'm a big fan of Derby Owners Club, uh, which is a horse racing simulation game that you can play at any Dave & Buster's 
near you. Um, what it is, is okay. you'll see these too when you go to these Dave and Buster arcades. There's a big screen and then there's all these kiosks in front of it. Usually I believe there's uh, 12, maybe 8. I, I could be mistaken. It might be 8. And what people do is they uh, breed and race horses <laughs> and then they save them onto these cards that the machine prints out with mm-hmm. a little magnetic strip so you can come back next time and start where you left off with your horse. And there's this world ranking happening so that as your horse progresses through the game and these races, you actually go up the ladder and get go into better races and earn different items and you can breed different horses in your horse ages and stuff. So how did I get involved in this game? You're probably wondering, like, Kyle, why do you play this game with horses? Well, I happen to go to one of these Dave and Buster's establishments. Not one of my favorite establishments to nah. go to to play video games, but whatever. And I saw this thing. And I'm just like, what is that over there? You know, there's all these sweaty people gathered around these kiosks with spreadsheets uh, and, and and pro player tips on how to breed perfect horses and stuff. Wow. So I was just like, I have to get involved in this just purely to show my ass and have a good time and just be a joker. So I go in there, get your ducker switch ready. And uh, I, I'm aware of my situation. I have no idea what I'm getting into. I have no idea how to play this game. So I pick two horses, they breed, I get a horse, and they're like, what do you want to name this horse? And I name my horse F-U-C-T, because I knew there was no chance I was actually going to win a race. But the funny thing is, just by dumb luck, I actually ranked second on my first race. Wow. Yeah, so I actually did pretty good. So so me and my horse... (laughs) were making great strides, and I was a newbie. I had no spreadsheets, and I could feel the uh, the, the, the looks of disdain yeah. from some of these people who were really, really into this game. So I kept going at it, kept going at it, and uh, Dave & Buster's is a place where you can receive uh, alcoholic beverages mm-hmm. uh, by command, like right next to you. And uh, so, yeah, so I ended up spending a little too much time there, kept breeding my horse, kept upgrading it. And before I knew it, two, two and a half hours had gone by, and I had uh, scared away all the other players <laughs> of Derby Owners Club. See. Interesting. Well, uh, horse racing games are, are <laughs> nothing new to like PlayStation or uh, or, or even uh, even older systems. And uh, Turbo Graphics even had some horse racing games. Nothing this deep though. This this sounds deeper than any game. I, the arcades had them as well, but nothing nothing quite this deep, and certainly nothing with a with a uh, magnetic strip card. Well, I mean, it's not incredibly deep. Well, I don't, you know, I don't take it very seriously either. There's a couple choices you can make to feed your horse. And then, you know, in between races, you have a set amount of time to feed your horse and train it in some sort of capacity to uh, up its stats, whether it's endurance or dexterity or Mm -hmm. speed. Sure. So I was just doing it like I would be leveling up a character in an RPG because that's the way I took it Mm -hmm. and i was actually pretty successful like i said when i started ranking with this goofy name uh, (laughs) a lot of people started walking away but i really dug it so i got i I carry this card for the horse in my wallet like it's a credit card for any chance where somebody's like hey want to go with dmb i'm like totally because i need to get (laughs) back in the race (laughs) but uh here's some pro player tips hello let me uh 
Stand by. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Hmm. Please leave a message after the beep. Yo, pick up. Pick up. John? Oh, wait. John? Yes? Yeah, I couldn't add him. I don't know what. It went right to that uh, lady. The person that you're trying to reach. Blah, blah, blah. I'm snotty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let me... Hold on. Uh, how do I make... Well, all right. Hopefully, he'll call back. All right, so uh, so what do you have for us there, John? Uh, the game that you don't normally talk about, uh, that you like, and then a little bit more about it. I guess I could speak on International Superstar Soccer Pro 98. Oh, this is the PlayStation one. Uh, yes, it is. What, what, who made this, Konami? or Konami did, Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah, I, I, I really like this. Boy, but let me tell you, let me break in very quickly, and maybe Kyle will call back. When they came out with their soccer for the N64, I just thought I had seen the future. But let's hear about the uh, International 98 Soccer Pro King for PlayStation. Yeah, well, I think this is the um, I think this is the sister game, I guess, to the N64 version. Okay. I didn't own it back in the day, but I did get a loan of it for a long time uh, during the the World Cup, you know, in 1998. So it was uh, it was a current game for me uh, to be playing through, but. A lot of fun. I mean, Konami really know how to make a sports sim, mm. you know? I love the idea of someone, when they don't get the license, that someone has to sit down and come up with thousands of sound-alike <laughs> names. Gotcha. That sounds like the worst job in video games, but I love that somebody has to do it. And and there was the announcing on this one as well, I'm sure. Uh, I think there was. I mean, it was a CD-based media, so mm. I don't see why not. Yeah, know? because the, the N64 cart had, had great voice work as well. Well, it was probably uh, probably John Motson or uh, maybe even Des Lynham. And, uh, it was one of those fellas with the goal people. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm sure there were, you know, national treasure uh, football pundits from America that were inserted into your versions of it. We, we probably had old Des, you know. And um, I actually genuinely have some pro player tips. Pick Holland. Ah. They're kind of the best team in there. On top of that, um, they almost have a, a Star Trek team player because they turned Dennis Bergkamp into Dennis Borgkamp, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, has all t- kinds of uh, connotations to it. But, uh, yeah, you pick him, you run up. The, pretty much you can win win the game. You win at that game if you pick him and then just run up the side of the pitch and uh, – just attack the goal from there. Attack the goal from either the right or left corners of the box, and you will win. And bizarrely enough, the game is so much fun, I didn't get sick of winning, you know? <laughs> what were some of the scores like? Basketball scores? Like, what do you mean, as in numbers? Or? Yeah, uh-huh. High well, scoring. If you, if you do pick Dennis Bergkamp or Borkamp or whatever his name was, <laughs> uh, you will get something akin to a basketball score. Gotcha, gotcha. You'll be trashing Brazil, you know, 12 to 3 and uh you know Brazil they they're yeah, good enough right. to get three back on them. Sure, sure. Now in Ireland do they call it bushel ball instead of basketball? Uh no, I'm pretty sure we call it basketball okay, here. Okay, very good. Uh, Where the hell's this guy? 
Who, Kyle? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he seems to be moving to a new satellite. Or (laughs) he's getting satellite in his new place. I I don't know. Now, what was the name of that soccer for real? Because I I completely mangled the name. Uh, International Superstar Soccer Pro 98. That's it. The the International... uh, uh, soccer series, I believe that's even what. Well, you know what? Uh, I had the Japanese version, but then uh, they they did release that same version in in the states. So uh, I for the N sixty four that is. But I just I thought that was just completely amazing and played really well as well. And arcadey too, you know, arcadey and yet still technical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when the PlayStation came out, a lot of. Football franchises were trying to uh, claim the top spot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember there was um, Virtua Soccer. Mm, right, um, right. You know, I can't remember. I think it was Virtua. And then there was, like, I, I guess, like, FIFA were coming strong from the, the Sega Genesis days and stuff like that. But, and EA, uh, they were trying to push around pixels on this thing. Yeah, and it was it was a tight race because a lot of people were jumping. I remember at one point England had their own game. It was called Three Lions. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was just, I guess you play as England versus everybody else. The game, sadly, was a piece of crap uh, and turned into archery at a certain point, I think. <laughs> when you get to the goal, uh, oh. the camera would go. Or like when you're, you know, you're about to uh, uh-huh. take a shot on yeah. goal. Yeah. Uh, the camera would switch to behind the player's head and an unruly cursor would appear on the goal that you'd have to move around, uh, you know, and hope to get past the keeper, which you never could because the thing, you would be moving right and then all of a sudden when it switched without warning, you're, you'd be pressing right and the cursor would fly right so you'd always get wide, you know? <laughs> I see. What uh, else you got? Do you remember uh, Roscoe McQueen, Firefighter Extreme? Yes. Uh, you know, kind of a forgotten uh, game of the PS1 era. And uh, that's one thing I will say. All of my things are PS1 era this, uh, this uh, month. Okay. Because uh, I haven't talked about them ever on here because I haven't played them since the PS1 was contemporary. And so far, the ones that you've mentioned are not available for download on the PS3 system to play either on your PS3 or your PSP. I guess you'd have to rip that yourself to your uh, PSP which they don't allow, I guess, anymore. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, I, th- I think you can if you prove that you have the genuine disc, but you might need some special software. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, which they should be doing, in fairness. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you own the game, you should be allowed to play it. Right. That's the way that my one PSP can do it. My PSP Go is is untouched in any ways. Is it still in the box? It is unsoiled. No, I, I played it, and I was telling Kyle earlier, uh, because I got two free games for it, my hands are now carpal tunneled up, so I don't know if they'll ever recover, because that thing is tiny. It doesn't look like the um, the shoulder buttons are very uh, convenient on that system. Yeah, they're not accessible at all, and especially if you get one of the good co- cases that cover it up, and then you can flip it open. There's just no way for that top flap to go anywhere and then you're resting on credits yeah it's not well designed unfortunately but no problem because sony doesn't support it so that's good <laughs> yeah well, well yeah. win-win yes uh, I all mean, right at so least tell so me you can what? buy it as a phone now right and uh, get brand tumors while you play your, uh, your playstation <laughs> uh emulators yeah you can't even get the camera well the oh never mind 
Tell me about Steve McQueen in his new movie, Firefight uh, and Extreme. He's a kind of like a private detective in San Francisco, and there's like a there's like a, a car chase, I believe, and a terror in an inferno. Um, I'm mixing everything up there. <laughs> but, um, now, Roscoe McQueen was a game that came out back in the uh, back in I think about ninety eight, ninety seven, maybe. I remember being very, very excited for it though, mm-hmm. because for some reason I thought he was a communist firefighter. <laughs> Uh, I think it's all the red and yellow stars. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, is this going to be some kind of controversial throwback <laughs> where he's going to be putting out the fires of democracy in the Eastern Bloc? But it wasn't that at all. He no. was putting out fires in a building full of racist stereotypes. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, win win. Again, I looked at video footage of people playing it, and it seems like some of the. Um, some of the characters that you happen to rescue in the first level, I mean, I don't remember being offended by them back in the day, but I guess I was probably, I don't know, more insensitive. Mm-hmm. But uh, it seemed to me that there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of stereotyping going on in some of the uh, characters that you're uh, you're helping out. If you want uh, firefighting sim, well, I guess maybe you've got that or the one on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, uh, I can't great. remember the name of. Pro player tip, don't go play the game if you're uh, sensitive to racial profiling. And uh, don't go play in the game if you want to be disappointed on the promise of communism. <laughs> yes. I think the SNES version was called The Fireman. And there, there was also another game similar to it as well. But that was that was a really cool, cool title. Yeah, it has really kind of neat little, not chibi graphics. Yeah, but. yeah they were they were sort of chibi. And, and the cover didn't match at all because it was like a picture of a fireman, I think. And uh, don't forget about Burning Rangers. Uh, that came out for the Saturn. Of course. I mean, fire, uh, just I remember here now. Uh, the Fireman was in fact developed by a human corporation. All right, creators of Fire Pro. Yeah, indeed. Fireman, Fire, Fire Pro, yeah. full circle. Wonder how they got that idea. Okay. <laughs> well, my game that I'm going to talk about, uh, I always talk about Devil's Crush or Devil's Crash. Um, I prefer the Devil's Crash, but I rarely talk about. I, I mentioned that the pre- the sequel to it, um, no, the sequel was Jackie Crush, uh, but the prequel was Alien Crush. And I rarely ever talk about it except to mention that it has the poor man scrolling where you it's two screens, a top screen and the bottom half of the, the pinball table. And it just flicks between the two as you uh, kick the ball up to the top screen. But I rarely talk about pro player tips to it or how much I enjoy this title. And since Alien Crush is coming out on the PlayStation 3 and, it, of course, you could play it on your PSP as well. And it's come out for the... Um, we a long time ago, and since you normally get this game before you get the Devil's Crush or Devil's Crash, I believe I will talk a little bit about it since you might be playing this for a while. I always mention that there's a big difference between Devil's Crush and Devil's Crash, and the Japanese version had the pentagrams that would spin around, and it was just it, it was just uh, cooler because of that. The only difference would be the title screen, where the Japanese version has. The alien crush spelled out of uh, a whole bunch of aliens, and then they turn into the font for alien crush. And then the uh, American version, for some reason, they changed that, and it's um, just made out of like worms and stuff. I guess. I guess it's parts. Of it. I have no idea why they changed that, but they did. Now it doesn't make any sense. Everything else, as far as I can tell, is exactly the same. 
Now, the first tip I will give is something that would be yelled out from my sofa constantly after people would go into bonus rounds. Now, you have these two tables and you also have four bonus rounds. And getting to those bonus rounds has something to do with the score being odd or even numbers as to what lights up the yellow when you go through different uh, rails and things like this. And I don't really know the full uh, mathematics and, and magic of that. It tells me in my instruction manual, but I can't follow that either because they call everything the dead bones lock. There's dead bones locks, there's dead bone lock one, dead bone lock two, and dead bone lock three, which none of them look like dead bones. Um, but the first pro player tip is the, is the constant shouting of left up, right down. And that is when you get into any bonus level that is on the left hand side of the screen or in the mouth trap at the bottom of the screen, the big alien's mouth trap. Uh, as soon as you get it into there, Make sure that you have your left flipper up and your right flipper down because it's going to get kicked out one of the top holes and it'll drain right down the middle of the top screen unless you have your flippers uh, poised in that position. So left up, right down. That's uh, very important to know. The other thing that would be uh, shouted would be saving skull. And the saving skull is, I guess, what they call the dead bones lock. But what it is, it's uh, it's the center. I don't I don't know what they call them on real tables. So I would call it a giant post, but that's not what it is. But it's like the center post that comes up, so you can't drain down the middle unless you're flipping like a crazy nut. So we we used to call that the saving skull, and you can get those on the top screen, and you can also get them on the bottom screen. It's very beneficial to get them on the top screen. The saving skull really won't do anything except stop you from draining down the middle. Uh, one of the great targets that you should try to hit would be the brain buster in the upper left-hand corner of the screen. You want to try to spend most of your time on the upper screen just because you don't want to drain down the middle and hit the three of the bonus levels that you can on that top screen. However, on the bottom screen, it's pretty important that when your ball drains down to the, the bottom screen, you try to knock out as many drop targets as you can. And they'll start out as regular aliens. There's two types. There's like the Ghostbuster aliens on the left and the Aliens trilogy aliens on the right. And uh, you try to keep hitting those, and the more times you knock down each side of them, the bonus multiplier will go up down below. And you want that to happen in case you drain the whole game, then you, you get a big bonus, you know, two times, three times, four times, five times, etc. As you knock down those drop targets, they'll uh, soon change from their normal green and gray types of colors to the silver colors. And those, uh, of course, score more points. There's also claws uh, on both both the upper and the lower table that will open up on the right side that will drain your ball back to the plunger, which is a very interesting plunger. And when I was playing this game on my Turbo Express, uh, because of the wonderful color palette swapping and the beautiful way that they made these pixels move, my stepdad at the time looked at it and said, what's in there, oil? He thought, you know, it would. He didn't realize, you know, these were on hue cards and things like this. He thought there was actually oil moving around inside the screen, and that's that's how neat the graphics for this title are. Of course, it's all alien themed. Uh, I hope I didn't have to mention that. So, talking about the bonus screens, and I'll give you a little bit of tips on these. In instruction manuals, they say, entry, get a ball in dead bones lock one, where the bonus multiplier factor is an even number. The goal, repeatedly hit the eyeballs near the bumpers to open them up. So that's actually the 
the mouth to the upper right. When you get it in the upper right, they call it the eyeballs, but that's called the light bright, uh, actually, is what we called it, the light bright. And that's the one you really don't want to get into because there's no real tips for this except try not to drain. Three sets of three red bumpers, as they call them, eyes, with a yellow bumper that's moving back and forth in front of the three and guarding them. And you have to try to knock the ball in between the yellow and the red so that it knocks around in there and lights up all the eyes or the light brights. And this is just a very difficult table. There's really no tricks except, like I said, try not to drain. And, of course, you want to try to get perfect on all these bonus levels because then you get like a billion points or something, or at least a million. The upper left is one of my favorite bonus levels, and that is the get the ball in the dead bones lock two when the multiplier factor is an odd number and destroy the centipede heads and body parts. So there's a series of centipedes that will come out of holes, and uh, they're green. And the more that you knock on their bits, the they become red and then get destroyed. But you have to try to separate the body from the head by knocking on the head a few times. Or I think you could just like cut it in half if you hit it right. The pro player tip for this, as is the case in many of the bonus levels, is never to shoot for the enemies while they're right in the middle of the screen because you're most likely to just bounce down and drain out of there. You want to try to capture the ball either in the right flipper or the left flipper during this centipede attack and the centipede will just run right into it and start blowing himself up. If you're on the left side, try to kick it back into that kicker hole, and then that'll do most of the playing for you. But always try to catch the the ball and knock it back towards the respective flipper's wall, and that's how you'll stay safe on those. The lower mouth on the upper left takes you to what we call the Slimers. Destroy all the aliens. Aim for the small aliens that circle the big aliens before destroying the bosses. Yes, there will be these four octopi with giant eyeballs surrounding three slimers. And these slimers are kind of cool because once you start hitting them, they get their big critter faces and things like this. And it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Once again, try not to hit the enemies when they're directly in the middle. This gets hard because the, there is a center critter slimer right in the middle so uh he's kind of he kind of breaks that rule so try to get him last so you can add up some bonus points once again the kicker the kicker to the left if you knock it into there it it helps play your game for you now the one that will score you the most points is going to be to light up the lower screen's giant alien's mouth trap when that turns yellow and you kick it into his mouth You do a pretty difficult level, which is full of these little flying aliens and rotating skulls. And there are three holes that are on the play field. And when you hit one of these aliens or skulls, they'll turn red, and your hope is that they deflect into one of these holes. If they go over one of the holes, then hopefully they get sucked into the hole. And there's a slew of them, and there's also bumpers on the screen, so it's it's kind of difficult. Once again, don't try to aim for the middle, and you should do all right, and just take your time. This one might take you a little while. The important part of this stage is to try to save one skull for last. If you do that, and you're on there for maybe about two or three seconds, a pterodactyl will fly onto the screen. If you hit that, you automatically get a million points. 
So that's the important part of that. The other neat thing to remember about the Alien Crush is that you also have a tilt. So you have the tilt button that you can hit if you start going down the wrong path. Also, the lower bumpers right by the flippers will uh, elicit break open and, and get you some aliens coming out of there. I believe you have to hit those either five or ten times, and then they'll, they'll crack open. And anytime you crack something open, like the brain or the lower bumpers, you'll get uh, extra points. And that's about it. You can enjoy it yourself and come up with your own nicknames for each uh, aspect of this game and have lots of fun with your friends. The only problem is that, you know, this is a one-player game, so you just have to take turns playing full games. The interesting thing about this this table as well is that there's actually an ending. You will break the table, and the game will be over. You have to score 999,990,900. You score that, the whole table blows up, and it tells you that you're the greatest player on the planet Earth of ever, and then the game ends. Like, the does the table scream no it doesn't scream it you just that's defeating the aliens you just you blow them all to hell cool yeah well i think i'll never see that because <laughs> uh even if i listen to all your expert advice i'll probably still never get past you know well let me tell you this my friend you listen to my advice because there are no game facts for this game except right here on we talk games Maybe we'll need to get some uh, some young book out there to transcribe all your audio. <laughs> it's not much of a help. Uh, it's more about uh, the, the kitschiness of the game, which uh, I, I truly enjoy. Especially when you burst open the bumpers and, uh, you know, it's kind of disgusting looking when all the aliens kind of wriggle over. Yeah, the Brain Buster is, is the most satisfying. And like I said, it's pretty difficult because you normally hit that little ramp up through the slimes into the uh, the top rails, so it's kind of it's kind of difficult to bust that open. And there's also this little eye place on the left, top left of the screen that'll change the configuration of the three bumpers. And when they get changed, they're almost useless to try to do anything. So, mm. so what else you got? I am continuing in my useless advice uh, for people. <laughs> Because the game I'm picking here, I have no real pro player tip. Uh, I just remember playing it and liking it. And I don't think I've ever really talked about it in depth. And that would be WCW Thunder on the PlayStation. Okay. Uh, I know this game is awful. Anyone could tell you that. Uh-huh. You know? All you need to do is just look at the character models. It's like um, there's like zero definition, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. They're just basically blocky humans. Is it anything like WCW versus the world? It is nothing like that. Oh, okay. That was a fun game. Well, that was a that was just a reskinning of I virtual pro wrestling. Uh, I, I can't recall. I, I had the original Japanese one, and then I purchased it again when they put a bushka on some of the people. Oh, yeah, I mean, I had a WCW versus the world or WCW World Tour. I think it might have been called. Well, those are. Right around the same time, but I do, the one in the PlayStation was a lot of fun as well, and you can unlock uh, weird kind of uh, reskin Japanese wrestlers mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, WCW Thunder was, I think it may have actually been produced by THQ. Okay, um, I was just thinking about them today, how they've really gone up and down with it. They used to have a, a, a they, their name used to be Besmirched. Let's yeah. say, and then they started getting good licenses, and now they develop some pretty cool games. Well, Thunder was a sequel, actually. There was a Nitro. I don't know if you remember Nitro. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, the game—I'll be honest with you—is kind of horrible. But 
you gotta either beat it or find some cheats because there's one thing worth seeing in that game. Okay. You, play it. you can unlock a USO stage. You mean like the golf thing? Like as in, you know, people who go to entertain your army. Oh, okay. My, right. Okay. Uh, what happens is it's like a 50s Happy Days dance party. <laughs> and when you get in there, when you pick Hulk Hogan and say Sting and you get him in the ring and instead of like they'll be dancing when they start you know they start to, they'll be doing some kind of hot stepping or whatever wow. as soon as you lock up to do moves instead of slamming each other they'll just start doing different dance uh, moves together my goodness well while it's going to knock off Bill Haley music plays in the background hmm. I did not know this oh yeah it's totally worth checking out and uh, on top of that you get all those weird video intros that they put on it or like you'll pick a you press triangle on the select screen and Kevin Nash will tell you not to pick him and stuff like that. Right, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, now I recall that. In fact, I I think they continued that perhaps on backstage assault or something uh, for the for the N sixty four. I'm not sure. I had a couple of them for the N sixty four. Maybe it was just WCW Mayhem or something. But, uh, and they're uh, very so- bad voice acting, just being themselves. Well, that's, you know, that was, I mean, WCW Mayhem was, uh, I couldn't have been more excited about when it came out, mm-hmm. because um, I was just like, oh, it's going to be a wrestling game, maybe, but yeah, that's got to be good, right? It was, I loved it on the Christmas day I got it as a present. Yeah. But I can't really go on much further into that. Right on. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's about it. I mean, WCW Thunder, if you want to play a crappy wrestling game with one awesome stage and one nice little Easter egg, you can't go wrong. Right on, man. Earlier in the show, we talked about Roller Games, the pinball machine with Roger Sharp. And, of course, that is a Steve Ritchie table. And then I also mentioned Roller Games, the arcade game uh, before on the show, which is more like uh, a crazy roller derby with ramps and explosions and fun stuff like that. But what about Roller Games for the NES, which shares nothing in common? Three separate style roller games that all probably came out after the show was canceled. Well, here you are again. You can either choose from one of three teams, either uh, the Thunderbirds Icebox or the Rolling Thunders Hot Flash or the Rockers California Kid. Was this um, this like a sport? Well, oh, you mean the original roller games? Yeah. Yeah, it was supposed to be roller derby over the top with even more pro wrestling storylines and... Uh, more fake dangers that the teams would get into. And uh, and as Roger Sharp mentioned, it had lots of corporate sponsorship uh, plastered all over the place. But the show never took off. It was just too hokey. I mean, you know, people believed pro wrestling, but they just couldn't buy this. This was, this was probably around the time Adam Bomb was in the WWE, uh, <laughs> WWF and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it wasn't really too far of a stretch, but I, I guess the time just wasn't right. But they made three pretty cool games. I mean, the NES is probably the weakest link. It sort of reminds me of Street Fighter 2010 type of crappy punch and kick sort of roll down hills to avoid obstacles on your roller skate. And your end goal is to make it to the Viper's Pit and, I guess, fight Mr. Viper. I'm assuming this Viper is a he's a kind of a fighting Viper. Yeah, and he's only about as big as you. It's kind of anticlimactic. And all along the way, uh, some of the stages you're like in caves 
and uh, that you're avoiding barrels, and then you're like Castlevania. It has elements of like each level is a ripoff of some other punch and kick game that came before it. But we're roller skates. Yeah, right. Well, I guess it's kind of like um, Roller City. Ran- Hello. Hello. Um. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently uh, unavailable. Please leave a message. Okay, well, and there you go. It's great. Thanks a lot, Keith. Doing a great job. A-OK, pal. Uh... Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of We Talk Games. Now, as you know, of course, it's June, and today's episode is our season finale. So we'll be back with new shows starting in our fall season after our summer hiatus. I don't know. There might be some replacement shows over the summer or reruns or something in nature. Special thanks to Roger Sharp for helping us close out this season with a bang. Of course, we couldn't do the show without Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, all the people that make it possible behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. And I'll tell you what, if, 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 if ever anybody... No, you don't. don't.